Put down your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Yeah, Tom, apologies. I have got a, a sickly child with me at the moment. So if you hear any sniffs and snuffles, it's not me. It's little William. But I wanted to make sure we got this recorded for the listeners at home. So apologies, everyone. If you hear any sniffles and snuffles, it's not me. Morning, Andy. Morning, Tom. How are you? I'm fine and well, thank you. How are you? Um, I'm good. I've had a... Uh, went to bed early last night. I've got up early this morning. I've had a, a cup of coffee and a good breakfast and ready for the recordings. Oh, what have we got today? So we have a very special... A big, my, my best celebrity pal, Henry, is going to be on to talk about Cult of Paint. Looking forward to hearing that chat later. And uh, his, his thoughts on painting is not just about cut of paint, but lots of other stuff as well. We obviously have the news and what we've been up to. We don't have a listener question this week. Because of the interview with Henry, it would have made the episode much longer than normal. And we like to try and keep them roughly about the two hour mark. Yes, it should be a good show, Tom. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, should we get things started? Let's crack on then with Hobby Progress. Hobby progress. The listeners already now have the joke. What army has Andy painted in the last fortnight? I haven't painted an army, Tom. In fact, I've been... My, my hobby creativity, my uh, my output has been down a bit because I've been back at work. Oh, I can't sit at home all day painting models anymore, Tom. But I have managed to get a little bit of work done. So I, uh, I painted up an M7 Priest. Looked quite good. That was quite a nice, a quick, easy paint job on that guy. I also got some Frostgrave models from my Tim starter. I got those guys painted up as well. That was good. It was contract a nice basing on some snow bases, but it did it did lead me on to a, a question because I had a couple of models left, the two sorceresses, and I used the contrast paint and I finished them. They were perfectly fine tabletop standard models, and I looked and I was like. I could have done a little bit more extra work on them and made them look better than they were. And I kind of, I guess it's a kind of question about when is a project finished? When is it, when have you finished painting it? And I, I did it to a perfect, I could, I could have just left them. In fact, I chose to, I've, I'm actually going to leave them as they are because I want to get on and do other things. I'm not playing with them at the moment. I know I can come back and I have in the past come back and spruced up models that I've painted in the past and made them look a little bit better. But I was a little upset with myself, like, like I knew I could do better than that. But at the same time, I didn't because of time constraints. So I've got to just, just need to get on and do things. Well, I think you're, you're doing yourself, I think, down a little bit because you put some photographs up of them on the Hobby Sport Group Facebook page. So if listeners want to look at them as well, that's where you can have a look at some pictures of them. I'd say they're like, they're well painted. Perhaps you've like painted a lot of models the same even though you're very different things but using the contrast paints all the time perhaps you know you said you you put a list up the other day of you know you've painted 1300 models yeah in the last year and a half maybe then those will you are possibly getting to the point where you know sorcerer is the same as you know falsham jaeger number 32 (laughs) they're slightly different but yeah I think I need to just have a, a bit of a break from using contrasts and, and just go back to the old 
techniques. I've been sort of using them a lot this year, uh, last year too. So I think it's about time I went back and um, I maybe had a few look at some other things. But I know a few, well, a couple of months ago when you were painting the, the burrows and badger stuff, you sort of you, you said that you seem to sort of really sound enthused about painting that way. You went on from rather than painting like a unit at a time, you spent an evening just working on one model, and you know, these you painted these two sorceresses. Wonder what was different in painting these two sorceresses rather than the Burroughs and Badgers models when you just worked on a couple of them. So yeah, the the Burroughs and Badgers, it was I took a model and I spent the whole evening working on it. For these two, it was I was getting them done before I had to go and pick William up from school. So ah. I'm constrained. And I was like, I'm just going to get these because I want to get them just done. Um, so William could see him when he came home from school. <laughs> well. Maybe that's a having things done. If you think just you want them done, and that's it. Maybe that is there are, what's like different places in sort of like the hobby world for both of those things. Just that you want to take your time on this, or you just want it done. And if it's an incidental thing that you you might possibly never use or use once in a blue moon, then perhaps just having it done is much better than just yeah. having. It Unpainted. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and it's just like if it was if they were part of a unit. If I had ten men, and they all looked like that, I'd be fine. I guess because it's like the wizard, it's like the focal point of the you know the war band. I feel like it's like a character model. I should have yeah. spent a bit more time on it. Although I'm not running out of wizards, I've got so many wizards. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not an issue. Um, but I yeah, I guess I'm, I'm I'm holding myself to maybe it's about time I held myself to a slightly higher standard than I did previously I think is I'm like okay maybe I need to level up and say to myself that's fine but just maybe take that extra step now and say no I can do better than this and, and be a better painter or maybe paint some things that you want to paint and that you, you want to keep so you, you don't mind or you want to spend your time on them because you, you want the models for something rather than it being a project that you're just wanting to sort of tick off and get done if it's thing that i really like these models i want to do a good paint job on them because i want to rather than putting pressure on of going i haven't been doing as good a paint jobs as i can so i'm going to arbitrarily like tax myself to paint these really well maybe paint something that you do want to do a really cool job on yeah i mean that's, that's a good idea i mean i'm going to use the <laughs> I say I'm going to start using the contrast. I'm going to finish off these Saxons in 15 mil because I think contrast is really good for the smaller scale models. It seems the perfect thing to use for them. But um, I think after this, I'm going, to, I'm going to give it a break and just try going back to the you know the older layering and um, washes and highlights, the traditional way I would have done things in the past. But we'll um, we'll see how I go. But that's enough about me, Tom. Let's hear about your armies. What have you been painting? Uh. Well, I, I fear possibly my British at Waterloo army may be verging into Chaos Dwarf territory because I said last episode I'd have them finished for this episode and I have got nothing of them extra painted. I've managed to get... Uh, I've got three units of facades left and I managed to get the horses themselves painted... And that's actually the only paint on models 
I've got done in the last two weeks. Um, I've got to, well, both me and my wife have got to move out of our flat for possibly three months while it has some major building work redone. So I've basically been packing up our house and all of my hobby stuff and sort of working out, right, what hobby stuff do I want to take with me for three months? And I sort of want to take some hobby stuff with me, but I obviously don't want to take my whole collection with me while we're possibly staying in a hotel or something. So I sort of was looking through the projects that I've got coming up that I thought would be fun to build, easy to build with the, the least amount of tools and wouldn't take up much room in a box to take. And I sort of was looking and I realised that the 28mm French that I've got, they're a single casting model with a head that you put on and a backpack. So sort of I stepped all those off the sprues, put them in a box, the bodies in a box, the heads and the backpacks in baggies. They take up a fraction of a box now. I then did the same with some 28mm plastic Celts and Romans which are just like glue on a head, glue on a weapon arm, away you go. Yeah, they're so, the Warlord ones. They're the Warlord ones. Yeah, I've done some of those myself. Yeah, they're easy, aren't they? Yeah, so like those with, that's like probably a good couple of hundred, maybe like 250 28mm models that I got snipped off of the sprues and are now in a single 20, uh, 4 litre really useful box. With, with some bases, and I figured, like, I won't get those built and painted in 10, 12 weeks, but they will give me plenty to work on. So that I've sort of got those sorted. And then, because I've got this bolt action tournament coming up beginning of July, I thought I'd actually better get some models primed ready for that. What I've been doing with models in the last year or so is, before I prime them, I put a layer of basing material down, to begin with, then prime them. Then I, I paint that first layer of basing material, like brown or green or whatever it is. And then when I finish the model, I put more stuff on top of that. But I found by putting that first layer down, it allows you to have, I think it looks like better ground cover. And it also stops any bits of the bases showing through. So I've been gluing sand on all the Japanese I've got to paint and my both my Stargrave crews. And that's my hobby progress. I mean, you, you, you can always, you know, to figure this event, you know, if you, if you can't actually get them undercoated, you've got armies you can take, haven't you? Oh, if, if I can't, I can get them. And I, I got half of them undercoated yesterday in a brief sunny bit. But I, if I can't, if I don't get them painted because of the move, I'll just take the Hungarians that I built to take. I built a Hungarian army to go to this event last year before it was cancelled. I that's yeah. in yeah. my shelf. I'm just going to take it if if I, I can't get the Japanese painted. I just need to. I just need to um, sort out my list and and just choose what I'm going to take. Yeah, that's, I think I need to get. I just make a choice. I'm like, what kind of DAC army am I going to take? And like, I'm an Aring. Well, I think next episode we're going to have a chat about it in more detail, aren't we? So we're not going to bore the listeners with a whole series of episodes about 
Tom and Andy go into a bolt action tournament. Yeah, episode one prep for the Tom tournament. Tom and great day out. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. We need to play some games before we um we go to the tournament. Cause I've completely forgotten how to play bolt action. Yeah, same here, more or less. Um, I'm sure it'll come back to me. I'm sure I'll also just do my normal when I've not played the game for a while, start playing it, and then just start amalgamating half a dozen different games rules into the same game. Yeah, you know, the amount of time I'm still thinking of doing Overwatch and cover save. Yeah, cover <laughs> save. No, what's a, what's a cover save? <laughs> get, you, get, your, get your sustained fire dice out. Yeah, where's my scatter dice? Oh, ball actually would be better with scatter dice, I think. Uh, uh, the say, take the templates out again. First edition had no templates. It was great. I think it makes things a lot quicker. I think it makes things a lot quicker. It's a lot easier to play in that you don't have to worry about is this model an inch and three quarters from the nearest model or is it like an inch and a quarter? And so I'm going to, can, are we going to get four or five under a big template? Um, and it also makes things which have multiple templates a lot easier. So do you have any other hobby progress before we move on, Andy? Not really. No, no. Just just, just pleased to get the, all the Frostgrave models done. And um, yeah, pretty pretty good, I think. I was really pleased with that, that priest, how, how it turned out as well. I've got all my... Models that I had laying around for my Americans are all now now done. I did the, oh, I did the anti-tank gun as well. I almost missed out that, didn't I, mate? A 57, is it 57 millimeter anti-tank gun? So that's done. How was yeah. that to build? Hmm? How was it to build? Uh, hellish. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad. It wasn't the worst I've ever had to put together. I'd actually say the priest was worse. It's resin and metal, and in none of the it gives you a whole load of little bits to stick on the um, the howitzer that goes inside it. But in no way does it actually show you where those pieces go or attach. You just have to guess. You mean the the offerings for the bits box, as every like howitzer and anti tank gun comes yeah, with bits. Yeah, but if you've got an orc army, it's great. You can stick it randomly on things. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, I've just got my my Polish cavalry to do. And then that'll be another box ticked off on my overall list for World War Two stuff done. Oh, very well done. I don't think my overall list is going to have had a update for a couple of months at this rate before I get something done. I should have chucked that Frostgrave stuff on there, but unfortunately I didn't. I, I know I'd complete it so quickly, I should have made it a box. <laughs> but it's it's cool on the Facebook group to see uh, like new listeners sort of taking on the idea of oval lists and posting up their oval lists. It's also really cool to see the range of projects that people are working on. You know, people are working on Frostgrave stuff, Chain of Command, Star Wars Legions, all sorts of things. And it's, it's cool to really see so many different projects on a, such a, like a number of people's oval lists. So it's cool to, there are a lot of hobby butterflies out there. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. I think it's 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 really helped me to stay focused. It's made me stop um, myself from buying things, you know, and because I'm like, okay, I'm staying. I can't remember. I talked to you about something recently, Tom. I was tempted to get something. I can't remember what it was, and I was literally like, but then I'd have to put it on my overall list. And so <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to get it because I just I don't want to add another project. So you know, 
and it helps me to focus on okay well this is the a quick win if i just do this thing i can get that project done although i'm, I'm still terrified about those those six mil japanese but we'll talk about that another time yeah <laughs> i can't deal with that right now no nor can i so talking about by not buying things moving into hobby purchases Hobby purchases. Last episode, I made you go first because I was pretty sure that you'd have spent more than me. This week, I'll go first because I think I've probably spent more than you. So, yeah, I, 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 I bought have to spend more than me this time. I bought some models. Yeah, I bought the first models I've bought for a little while. I, uh, as I said, I think it was maybe last episode. I said that I bought Dicing with Death. Oh yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. The, That's the gladiator game, isn't it? The gladiator, the, like an old-fashioned gladiator game that's sort of like old-fashioned enough that in the rules, you know, your coliseum that you're fighting in is a biscuit tin. You know, print yeah, out, fantastic. print out the little squares that's in the rule book, or you know, cut mm-hmm. them out, glue them to the bottom of a biscuit tin. That's your arena. So I figured, I mean, if I'm playing. Yeah, I think- Good idea as well. That's really nice to have you able to put the game away in, and the, like the tin then becomes that's that's such a good idea. Yeah, apparently, like in the rules, it says that they were playing it like when they were students on a student rail card in the seventies, the one you could yeah. you know travel all over on a rail card, and they had this game in a biscuit tin that they could play while and on the train. While on the train. So. I figured if I'm going to talk, and I like that idea because I thought it would be something cool to chuck in my bag when I go to work, take down the club, you know, the models, everything are all in the tin. Here we go. Takes two minutes to set up, two minutes to pack away. Yeah. All that playing. So I thought if I'm doing that, and I was looking at the gladiator models that are out there, and there are some really nice gladiator models. Oh, yeah. yeah. That you could pick up. But I figured if I wanted like a dozen gladiators, I thought, and these are all going to go in a biscuit tin. I realised I was probably looking at, at the best part of about £60. And I thought, that's a bit pricey for what is really going to be like a novelty game. So I was having a look around. And then I thought, well, if this is an old-fashioned 70s game, why don't I do it in a different... Why don't I do it in an older scale? So I thought, I'll have a look at some 172 models. And I bought the... Italiari Gladiator set, which is 12 Gladiators for £2.65, including postage. And How many? 12. That's a bargain. That's amazing. And that includes like a chariot team. So if you want to do uh, like the Gladiator movie scene where they're fighting the chariot, you can do that. Oh, that'd be amazing. Because the set came out in 2004, so it is, in quotes, I think, inspired by the Ridley Scott Gladiator movie. (laughs) 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 But yes, less than £3 for enough models to play the game with, I thought, can't go wrong with that. And they're also... That's really, really good. And they're really nice plastic models. They're really detailed. They're really crisp, and they they are 
they've really enthused me for looking more at some 172 stuff because I, most of the 15 mil stuff I've got, I haven't got a huge amount of it, but a lot of it, it does sort of verge a little bit on the have they been sculpted out of blue tack. I think I've, it depends where you go and what you, which ones you get, I guess, isn't it? Oh, of course it does. Yeah, I'm sure if you go to that, because like, I know basically nothing about them, I'm sure there are some manufacturers that do amazingly crisp and detailed models. The same as, you know, there are some people out there who sell 28mm models who look like they're made out of earwax. Um, this is very true, Tom. This is very true. The big purchase for me was some of the Warbase's MDF trays for going in the really useful boxes. And... I bought 10 of those, which came in yeah. £56. And yeah. I'd always been... Put, I'd liked the idea of these trays, but I'd always been put off buying them because, like, when you put two inside a box, they're more expen- when they're basically more expensive than the really useful boxes. But then I sort of realised my problem is not that I can't... I need some. I needed a new. I need a new storage solution because I've run out of space for really useful boxes. And then realizing using these trays, I've basically overnight been able to double my amount of storage, and it's a game changer, really. Being able to fit in, you know, absolutely two, like two and a half bolt action armies, not including tanks in one. Fully a tray is just unbelievable. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, I've it's, got all my German one, two liter one, not two liter, four liter. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, I've got one of the big. I think it's like the. I'm not sure what size it is, but the ones which the ones which are like roughly A4 size vertically, and that's got five of the trays in. Uh, and yeah. then a row of tanks on the top, and it's like, yeah, this takes up. It's saving me so much space and room. Oh it's yeah, amazing. And like you know, yeah, fifty six pounds, not an insubstantial amount of money in any way, shape, or form. That's like two KR cases, isn't it? Probably something like that. Yeah. Or like a space. It's it's not take. It's not the space of two extra KR cases is the space you're already using holding now extra models. Yeah, because in the past I'd have always looked at thought, oh, right, £56, that's an extra dozen really useful boxes. I haven't got space anymore for a dozen extra really useful boxes. Um, I've probably got too many of them as it is really because there are places where everywhere you look there are really useful boxes like ferreted away. So hopefully by using some of these MDF trays, I might even be able to actually get rid of some of my boxes and you know, earn some brownie points with my wife for not having really useful boxes hidden away everywhere. Um, I mean, that's the real win, isn't it? That's the real win, earning brownie points. Well, it's, I hadn't realised until I was starting to pack things up for the move how many I'd sort of managed to hide away. Because you think, oh, yeah, I've got, like, 
that army is in that box there, and that's his army in that box there, and this army is in a box there. But then you realize those three armies are really in five boxes. And then you get like those five boxes out and look at them and you go, yep, that's, you know, an extra box of hobby stuff. And that's an extra box. And it's, it's stuff that's finished. So it's not like stuff that I, I've not played with or used, but it's just, it takes up so much physical space. I've been thinking of having a bit of a, a hobby stock taken, looking through and going and saying, is this something I, re- I really need? Um, I, it could well be that I say to myself, actually, you know, I do need all this. Like I've got those Romans and Celts that I'm, I'm, I'm like, do I really need these? I can't see, I can't see myself playing with my 28 mil Roman and Celts. I bought them on a whim. I painted them, put them in a box and they've been there for like two or three years now. I've done nothing with them. Like, I can't see myself playing Hail Caesar in, in anything small, anything larger than 10 mil. I've got, I've got 10 mil armies. No, Rome, I, 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 no, I completely agree. Like, I think there is like, but I would say you could play something like infamy, infamy, infamy with them. Or a variety of like, I would say it depends how many you've got. Yeah, I, I'm thinking I could just shrink down and just use like maybe just the Romans. I got I got some nice Roman characters painted up, and I got some Romans and a scorpion, and, and maybe that's just enough. Maybe I don't need like the thirty Celts that I've painted up. I don't know. I just they don't they don't spark joy, Tom. I look at them, and I don't spark joy. I just remember going, oh, I painted those just to get them done. After I spent a pound on per sprue on them, I bought like a few sprues for a pound, and was like, oh, that's a good deal. And I bought them more because of the cost of them was so good than actually wanting them. Yeah, well, perhaps that is a good a good reason for getting rid of them. I think I'm going to... My plan is when we move back in, I intend to do the same with all my stuff and go, do I really want this? Do I really need it? Is it going... Am I selling it? Because I realise I've got like a box, like a moving box full of 40k stuff. And it's like, how much of this do I actually want or need anymore? Do I need any of it? What do I want? What should I give away? What should I sell? What frees up room? What frees up space? And, you know, chucking it in a box means I'm probably not very attached to it because I haven't packed them particularly carefully or anything. So we will see what happens. Yeah, I've got a, lot, I've got a few 40k things and I'm, I'm like, I, I, I just don't see myself Play. I've kept. I've got my kill team stuff, which I'm going to keep. But um, yeah, I've got lots of, of 40k stuff that I just don't think I, I need anymore. And I, I, if you're not going to if you're not going to play with the army, you don't need to keep it. That's my thought. It's like just what what are you holding on to this for? You know, when I think of doing a new army now, my first thought is what scale am I going to do it in? I'd much rather normally do it in a small scale like 10 or 6 mil than than 28 mil unless it's a skirmish game where I need sort of 10, 20 models in which case I'll do it in 28 mil but I can't you know see myself doing huge rank and flank I did that oath marker I mean my, as the, the listeners will know I did um, those abyssal dwarfs but I've done that now I've got my 28 mil fantasy army and that's it done um uh, rank and flank but from, from now on I think for most games my go-to is going to be small scale stuff anyway it's going to take up a lot less room yeah mine's the same like 
I don't intend at the moment to buy a, a, another 28mm army of more than like 80 figures. I think like 80 figures at the most. You know, for like, a, if I, I could do like a horde bolt action army of that sort of size. But my days of like mass ranked 28mm armies is over. Like, I've still got several to build and paint here because they are things that I want. And like I've got some Romans and Celts to build, but they're going to be my Kings of War army and stuff like that. So that's my hobby purchases. As I said, you know, £56 for some trays, £2.65 for some gladiators. Comes in at 58.65. How much was it? 58.65 in total. <laughs> that's like... I thought that was the cost of the really useful boxes, but I forgot that the gladiators are so cheap. <laughs> yeah. But that's the game we should be playing, Tom. I'm a gladiator one for £2.50. To be honest, you know, I, I think some games, I think we may all, I think gamers in general might have got into the trap of like, even if you're playing a skirmish game, thinking it has to be played in 28mm. You know, like a 15, these 15mm gladiators I've got, they are plenty big enough to like see what weapons they've got, which character is which, to play with it. I know like when I one of my Frostgrave war bands is Snotlings. I've managed to play Frostgrave fine with Snotlings and Grots. Oh, absolutely! I think we've spoken to Monk before from Googly Eyed Skull all about um, the fact that he loves to like twenty eight mil is a perfect scale for him for doing conversions and modelling. Which you can't do on a six mil or fifteen mil. I mean, you can do conversions, but you know, they're much. You know, um, it can't be as detailed because the model isn't as detailed. So I think there is some advantage there to, to using twenty eight mil if you're a modeler as well as a player. But certainly, you know, for games, I mean, you can use a cardboard chit if you really want to. But I think we're not going to go down that route, are we? No, I think definitely. I think there are different things. If you like kit bashing modeling doing bits of sculpting and that sort of thing i think 28 mil is probably like the best place to do it because number one for kits you have such a wide range of bits and pieces that you can use to drop in for things you know if you need a sword or you want some gribbly attachment you can probably easily find and sword or a gribbly attachment to attach to the model without having to make it yourself I think 15 mil, there are still things available, but it becomes more difficult. Whereas smaller than 15 mil, nothing is really in kits. Everything is all single piece castings or single piece prints and all that sort of thing. So you just don't have those options. And on also sort of like 6 mil, I'm not really sure what you necessarily could sculpt or, or cast or change that wouldn't be noticeable on the model because you know i've got in the army that i'm building at the moment i've got models which are like missing legs and that sort of thing and you just can't tell when they're in the ranks and they're painted up and you know you can barely tell which i, I was painting some a few weeks ago and i realized i was painting the back of their heads as their faces and you know i, I noticed after i painted a few but you know you're not going to then really know. So I've given this guy a beard or 
have given this guy like a, a smaller nose or this guy's got one eye, you're not really going to just notice that kind of thing where 28 mil, you really do. But the flip side of that thing I've noticed recently that I really like the look of is people making tiny dioramas using 6 mil or 10 mil figures and like really taking their time to paint them. But then, you know, you can have your diorama on a 2P rather than a diorama on a dinner plate, which I think is something that could appeal to me in the future. You, know, you can then do your modelling and your building on the, you know, this artillery gun is like in an artillery emplacement, it's in a trench and you've got all this sort of stuff rather than building the model itself. Yes, I agree. Um, I've, I know it, with my um, my Prussian line infantry, I accidentally glued some of them back to front. There's one strip when they're running away or something. And you know, I day you can't see it when I've got them all lined up. I'm like, which one is it? And there's even some that got like a leg chopped off. And and but we just stick them in the middle of the unit. You can't see it on six mil. So you know, which is great, but it's also at the same time, you know not fantastic if you want to do like a i'm going to make a, a goat-headed uh peg leg pirate riding on a squid you know and who wouldn't want that you know it's going to be hard if you to do that in six mil because it, it, it you just can't see as no, well it's like we, we both men, made the joke earlier on about the six mil samurai armies that we've got to paint like the reason why i'm intimidated about that is because i've got to sit down with a printout and the website and look at every single strip and go, what exactly are you? Because I can't tell from looking at the model. Like, are you a monk with a bow? Are you a peasant with a bow? Or are you a samurai with a bow? And say, so I know it's about the helmets and something else, but I'm going to have to look through every single strip closely to work out who is who. And I've gone and looked at pictures and paintings of, and they seem like, the different colours on them, they seem to be really, I just, I, I wish there was a really easy painting guide and I keep waiting for someone to, I, I imagine that everyone who's got that army has put it to one side and gone, I really hope so, another person puts a really easy painting guide out for this. Yeah. Um, uh, as of yet, I haven't seen a really easy painting guide, but I'll, I'll have more of an investigation and see what I can find. But, you know, if I, even if I don't get that done this year, takes up a small box and I know it's there and at some point I will do it it just might take me a little bit more research that's all and oh, yeah. and even if I just painted you know didn't do individual colors or strips of colors or fancy you know, even if I just paint this unit's going to be painted red this unit's going to be painted black this color's in, yeah yeah it's going to be an army I can paint with I paint with. and then it's going to be an army I can play with yeah okay and who am I going to be playing with? You. And again, unless the Sengoku Japanese historians from Japan have flown in and by chance have gone for a pint on a Sunday at Bethnal Green Working Men's Club, which I admit could happen. And go. They'll give me a dressing down in Japanese that will leave me terribly shamed. Exactly, Tom. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think, what, what, what do I think, Tom? What am I trying to say? I think if you're a modeler, you're going to find 28 mil really good. And I think it, it's very pleasing to the eye. So it's, the, it's like a really nice scale, 28 mil, 28 to 32. It's just a really nice scale. 
for a nice looking little model. So that's really good for skirmishes. And if you're doing a really big game, like our English Civil War, when we get our 28 mil games on the table with everyone of their army, that's going to look so impressive. It looked fantastic when we had them and we hadn't got them painted. They were just plastic. So imagine when we get them out now and everyone's got theirs painted, it's going to be like an, a spectacle. It will be. But not every game has to be a spectacle. That, and, I, I, and it's and not practical. No, it's not practical. I, I'm like When I have to take my army to my English Civil War army, it's going to be a, a mission to transport them. They're going to be in really useful tubs on my lap on the bus, which is fine. If it happens, it happens, and that's fine. Um, but you can also get that spectacle to some degree um, with smaller scale armies. That's kind of what it's about, is when you put down these bases of, you kind of get the spectacle, but on a smaller, smaller scale, I guess. That's the whole point, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, it's like this, to not keep harping on about it, but like this Waterloo army I'm building, it's got like six infantry brigades in. The, the, the French army, the 28 mil French army, has got, is going to be one brigade. And even then it's going to be a rather anemic single brigade. Whereas the 6 mil one is, you know, six brigades, bells, whistles, toys and everything added on as well. And when that's on the table, it's going to look brilliant and take up a lot of room. Where, and I'm looking forward to really seeing it. And I just could not contemplate painting it in 28 mil even if i had the space and i had the models just right you're going to spend the next five years painting these same figures i mean i think that's that's an advantage if you i like to play different periods in different games if i just wanted to play waterloo again and again and again and i could sit down and go grand army here this this year i'm going to paint all the you know the old guard and then, you know, and then I'd have the whole army done in 28 mil. Because if you took every model I'd painted in 28 mil and turned it into a Napoleonic French figure, I'd have a pretty big army. Yeah. But my whole lifetime. Um, I don't actually want to do that. So I haven't. No, it's uh, not. It's like. People do. No, and I've spoken to some Napoleonic players and they paint, they view painting a unit like I would paint an army. It's right, I'm doing 116 figures, which are like, you know, the 23rd Northumberland Fusiliers. This is like 116 figures, this is this unit. And then when they've done them, they will do another unit, and they go like, these are the 14th Regiment of Foot. Like, you know, these have got green cuffs and facings, so they're, this is a different unit. It's almost like a different, feels like a different army, for what you're painting, and you just paint them unit at a time. And you go, right, this year I want to paint two units. And over time, you can go, right, I've now got three genuine size brigades or whatever. And I can I can definitely see how it appeals to people, and I can definitely see how possibly it helps people if you think if you are a person who's always going to be painting, it keeps you more focused on just painting something like this is what i paint but it just doesn't appeal to me as much as just always painting basically the same thing yeah i mean i'm getting to that point now where i've, I've got i have lots of things so if, you, if we had to go and play crossgrave or another fantasy game tomorrow i've probably got 
enough models to go and grab them from the box and not need anything. You know, yeah. I might, there might be the odd one here. If it's generic rather than a specific game, if you say we're going to have to go and play Malifaux or some game that I or, or Guild Ball, I might have to go, okay, well, I haven't got the official models for that game, but I might be able to find something to represent Proxies. it. So hopefully as we go forward, it's going to be more case we just cherry picking specific projects and then thinking okay i can just take my time and paint them rather than i don't know what i don't know what i was doing before tom <laughs> but i just seem to be rushing towards some goal we talked about that last week in the lockdown episode i was just sort of chasing my tail painting as much as i could all the time for some unknown goal that i don't know what it was but yeah yeah same here Really, I think it, it, it's a big realization to go. No, you're not just looking. You're not. There is no end point. You're not going to go right. I've painted everything. We're now just going to game. Um, yeah. Like I, to, to go back to those Japanese. I, I know I could. If I play them next year or this year, that's fine. Or the year after, or never. That's also fine. But I want to, and I'll do it at some point. It just doesn't. I haven't got to be worrying about it now. No, and like you know, they take up. They are, they're taking up, like mine are in a, like a takeaway food container and the rule books are PDF on my computer. So, you know, they're, yeah, they're not easy. taking yeah. very little room. I've got, I've got books that take up more room and I'm not, and I'm not going to read that probably either. That's no. how you know. Yeah. Brilliant. So anyway, you probably won't know what I bought. Yeah. This week, Tom, I uh, this episode, I only spent fourteen pounds, which is pretty good. I I ordered some three uh, D printed sci fi uh, zombies, so I'm going to do um kind of a, a science fiction themed because I need another Star Grave band the crew uh, because obviously I haven't used the last one I got yet, but I decided I just needed to get another one because I wanted to. So, um, yeah, I've, I've painted them. I haven't painted them up. So I have ordered myself some, and they were really nice, actually. And I'd never ordered any 3D printed stuff off eBay before. They were just a picture of the files, like not the renders, like not the real thing. And I was like, what am I going to get? Because I've seen some really less than stellar prints. But I thought, I'll take the risk. And when they came through, they were brilliant. So I think... In my very limited experience, I think resin printers for miniatures have been an absolute game changer. Because I bought, um, well, Oil Dream Industries sent me some things that I'd got printed a couple of weeks ago, and they are fantastic. And I bought a, I think it's a Type 97 or Type 87 Japanese armoured car off of eBay. Oh, yeah. Was, which is also a resin print and it is a better resin print than the vast majority of resin cast vehicles that I've bought from major manufacturers. Yeah. Looking at you, Warlord and Forgeworld. Hobby news. Not quite as much hobby news as last episode but there are still quite a few bits to get through so we'll sort of jump in oh, i can't wait to hear tom so maybe now in, in in customary fashion we'll start with warlord bolt action news and warlord have brought out a new thing called what they're calling the 
bolt action supply drop. Mm. And it changes each month. And the, the theme for June is D-Day. And what you do is you pay five, £50 and you get a mystery box, which includes a box of plastic infantry, a resin vehicle, one metal blister, and a rule book or campaign book relating to the miniatures. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's claimed that each box is worth at the minimum of £75. And yeah, so it's 53 isn't it? Yeah, and while it, it's not... The contents are secret, and it's technically not a mystery box, as each box has the exact same contents. Yeah. Although I don't know if they send any of them out until people have bought them, so you can't see what's in them. Because I know when they were doing the mystery boxes, people were posting what was in the mystery boxes while you could still buy them. Yeah, that's right, because each one was different. And this one, they're all going to be the same. Um, I know, I know, I, I, we don't know exactly what it is. We know it relates to D-Day. It says U.S. Army drop on it, so you'd think it's going to be the U.S. Um, although, and people have said, oh, it's going to be U.S., and, and Warlord haven't said it won't be, just it relates to D-Day. Because it could be, and think of the forces that D-Day, it could be British, Canadian, um, airborne, it could be Americans, it could be you know, it could be the Germans there waiting for them, you know. It is more likely to be Americans or Germans because I don't know if they would be putting the new like Canadians or Commonwealth troops in a box at a heavy discount to begin with. I, I think they probably have got rid of all the older British ones in the mystery boxes because everyone seemed to get a spirit of British, didn't they? Yes. Right, anyway. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to be in there. I was, I was tempted, Tom, and then I decided no. I think this could be a fantastic deal for a quite a narrow band of people, players. If you're interested in playing bolt action, but you don't have anything. And this could well be a really good way in because then all you need to do is pick up a rule book and you've basically got what yeah. you need. If I knew it was going to be Rangers or if I knew it was going to be Marines or if I knew the specific infantry it was going to be, but if it's just GIs, I don't need any more GIs. Yeah. I don't need any more hair grenadiers. No, whereas if... In reality, I don't, if you've got 60, you don't need another, another 30 to add on to them, you know? No. Um, whereas like in your case, if this was a specific box set... You've got no Marines. Pacific troops. Have you? You've got no Marines or Japanese or Chindits or anything. No. Um, so like that could be really well worth it. I think if you are a player who's already got several armies and got several campaign books or army books, I think its value then drops down quite dramatically. Yeah. Like, if I bought, because I've got most of the rule books and campaign books, like I could see no value in me really getting this and basically paying £50 for a random box of infantry with a random vehicle and a random metal blister. And it's like the things I could possibly use, but more likely, even with the 
you know, thirty percent, thirty-three percent discount on them, I'd be better off just buying the specific bits and pieces I need. In my case, yeah, I mean, if it comes, if it was a box of American GIs and the American rule book, American HQ, and then an, an American MMG, I would be just like, I don't need any of that. I've got all the, I've got all the MMGs. I get, I have three MMGs. Because <laughs> yeah. I have three. I've even got a heavy a, an HMG as well. You know, I I wouldn't need any of those things. And although it's a saving, it would still be a loss for me because I don't need. Yeah. So, but I think it's cool, and I think it's it's good to see that they are doing other things that give people a good discount on a, a way of getting into the game, and a, a, without being like a, such a ridiculous deal that everybody picks it up and it's then immediately dropped. I think, you know, those £50 starter armies from the other week were, were, were amazing if you wanted to pick up a new okay. army. If, if I don't even play North Africa or something, then this would be great. If I play Pacific, then I would... I probably would be £50 down, Tom. Yeah. I would have probably bought it. I think it'd be good if, if they said it was definitely a campaign book rather than an army book. That would yeah. help. GW are moving into the sort of online Warhammer Plus streaming channel thing with their upcoming animations. Don't know if you've seen any of the animated Warhammer stuff. Not a single one. This is actually this is complete news to me, Tom. I've not heard this at all. Well, for for years on YouTube, people have been like releasing trailers and snippets of animations for like fan projects using Warhammer IPs. So things like there's a dark, there's a Death Watch one that's been like slow going. And because they're quite often made by either individuals or very small teams, you know, like each year you might get a few, you know, a handful of seconds of extra footage. You know, we're not talking about huge, we're not talking about I movies did, here. One that was about the Armageddon book one that was, um, Kind of a black and white, smoky kind of thing going on. It's all blurry. That was quite good with, with Yarrick and the Blood Angels and stuff going on. It was a good one. Um, and so, but what they're doing is they are bringing them all together and they're also going to put them under the Warhammer Plus banner where people can sort of view them. And I think, I don't know the exact details about it, but I know they were sort of like rather than then these individuals sort of releasing them as and when. They do sort of drip feeding the content. It will go through like GW online portals. Hopefully, channel more people to see them, and more people sort of get paid for the work because the work that's coming out is absolutely amazing, and all of them make the 40k film look absolutely atrocious. So, I'm I'm glad to say I've never seen that. It was terribly dated five years before it came out i think i had more walking in it than lord of the rings it's so much walk it is if you ever played like yeah it's there is nothing in it worthy of comment it's almost like they wanted to put people off the game you would think how hard is it to make a game how hard is it to, to make an like an action 40k film without loads of like 
empty space and walking in dust storms and just just have loads of bolters just shooting things and like chainsaws it's atrocious how could you get it how could you get that wrong no just oh it's i haven't watched it for a very long time and it's just very bad but anyway if you're into if you like the warhammer animations keep a look out for warhammer plus sounds good and then my last bit of news is just a, a bit of a follow-up from Ragnarok Kickstarter for the Dark Dwarves. And they are... when I, I backed those, I think, in February. And they were due out to be shipped in October. And I got an email last week to say that they are cast and will be out very soon. So, you oh, know, fantastic. Props for, props for getting those out so much quicker. And I believe there is going to be a follow-up range to them out in the next few weeks or couple of months on Kickstarter, which will be like zombie berserkers and that sort of things. And Ooh, big, zombie berserkers sound cool. Yeah, big some zombie berserkers and like a hell loki doiter. Um, so that will be cool as well because who doesn't want a giant undead? God of the Underworld. I can't think of anyone who wouldn't, Tom. No. So, do you have any hobby news, Andy? Well, I'll start with the most important one, of course. I believe those plastic cowboys are now available to purchase. We spoke about last time. So I will have to wait till payday and then get myself a set of those because I love cowboys. I don't know why. Grew up on cowboy movies. Um, but, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll be doing a report on how they've worked out. I know Vanguard Miniatures are looking for a sculptor. They've got an advert up. If you're a 3D sculptor, you're out there thinking, ah, I like the sculpt and want to do some sculpting professionally. Well, they were advertising for um, a new sculptor. They do um, really good sort of 6 mil to, I think, 15 mil models. So go check out the website. Go and have a look. You know, might be an opportunity for you there to get some, some work if you're looking for something. And um, I need you to talk about a card game now, Tom. Keyforge, which I really enjoyed. Um, we were playing it just before lockdown, and there's been a couple of expansions that have come out since the first one. We've not been playing those because, well, we've been locked down. But they're actually up to, I think, they're like the fourth one now, aren't they? And um, the latest one is called Dark Tidings. And this one, they swap out discs and they put in a new, uh, I think it's a water-based faction. Oh, uh, nice. And in this one, they have um, the idea that there are twin decks. So obviously, each, in Keyforge, each deck is unique. But for the first time, they're going to have linked decks where, because there are good versions and evil versions of cards. So the twin decks, one will be all the good versions, and there'll be one that's exactly the same, but all the dark versions, the bad versions of the cards. So the idea is that you, it challenges you to go and find the goody and the baddie version of the decks and have a fight between each other. Um, although I think if your if your opponent lives in in Canada and you live in India, that might be a bit more of a challenge to get together to have that that battle for Keyforge. I don't know if I I love Keyforge enough to buy a plane ticket. But I guess you, you might get lucky. I can only assume that will really work is if there is a mechanism for easily and relatively cheaply 
buying decks internationally. Because sort of like, if you've got a deck and you need it's the opponent's twin deck, it's only worth really its value as a twin deck to you while you own the other half, isn't it? So hopefully there might be some mechanisms where you know people buy twenty decks, they put nineteen of them up for sale, and you know if you want one, you you, you may have a chance of buying one. But I could only possibly see you know, yeah. People having like the one as a because I really like Keyforge, but I I never went down the route of like looking up deck ratings and going right. I'm going to buy a better rated deck. I just like having a box of about ten random decks, not really knowing which is the better decks. There are some which are definitely slightly better than others, but just going right and then just throwing one to somebody and going right. Which one do you want to play with? Let's play. That's what I prefer more, more than going, right, I'm going to pay X amount of money for this deck. Because what I really like about Keyforged is, while you're not buying cards for it, and the decks themselves are relatively evergreen, you can still sort of go down that wormhole of buying better decks. And I think really, when you're playing with just a collection of decks, it's a bit of a, a I think, a sort of, high road to nowhere when you're just buying better decks to play in against your own better decks whereas like it's not like i'm going to keyforge tournaments or anything where i want you know the most competitive deck i can get you know me and you play it in the pub well we're going to wait to go to the cinema or you know uh, in the park in a tournament, like, i can see the point of like okay you buy a box of decks you check out the ratings you see what they are the ones you don't need you put on ebay you know, and the, and the better ones you hold on to, and so you can make your money back. And but again, even then, he's sort of chasing his pipe dream of a one in a thousand chance of getting that. But you know, people do that to try and get rare cards in Magic the Gathering. And I'm I'm not a collectible card game player. That's what attracts me to keyboard is it's it's not a collectible card game. You buy a deck, that's what you have. Um, I haven't got to worry about buying boosters because there aren't any. No, it's like I, I know a couple of my friends are collectible card game players and they they look at the cost of like me as a miniature hobbyist with envy with how much they cost to buy buy boosters and that's the thing like you know a, a new boot a new set might be released and they will be dropping hundreds of pounds to get the new cards to literally stand still with where they are and so i i do not um i couldn't contemplate personally playing collectible card games you know playing minis is enough for me which is why i really like keyforge because it doesn't have that oh you need to buy these four rares these four rares are 50 quid each otherwise your deck doesn't work yeah i mean i used to play collectible card games back in the day and there's a reason i don't anymore because i i I can't afford those kind of money sinks so but no, I'm, I'm, I think it's fantastic, and um, you know, I'm, I might pick some up. I like the idea of an aquatic deck; kind of appeals to me. Well, you know, we could maybe—I don't know what size the decks, the boxes of decks come in, but we could maybe split a few up. As, um... Oh yeah, we should probably get halves in a, a starter box, shouldn't we? And then we can get like four each, or however many decks there are in there. And who knows? I might hear from Element Games about my um, my Keyforge order that I placed six months ago. Don't be crazy, you know. 
So I think that's it for uh, you know this slightly truncated hobby news today. And as I said at the beginning of the show, we haven't got a listener question today because we're now going to play the interview that we recorded with Henry. And... Tom, actually, we we do have a listener question. Oh yes. Listener questions. Um, war. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Oh, there we go. The main segment. I am honoured to have here on the show of us today, Tom, we have the wonderful Henry. Hello, Henry. Hello, Andy. <laughs> Henry is, is perhaps my most famous friend. <laughs> so, Henry, I understand you, you're half of Cult of Paint, is that right? I am. That is that's correct. With uh, with my good buddy Andy, Andy Wardle. Oh yes, Andy. I saw. I was watching the latest one. Um, at latest one of your your show. Oh, your old culture of paint. On oh, the, the culture of paint. Yeah, sort of a a side project, I guess you'd call it. And I'm gonna tell you now. Andy did this. Um, it was a little diorama of a tree, like a like a wood elf or something in the tree. Mm-hmm. That was really nice. He loves his woods and his elves, that boy. He absolutely loves it. And any, yeah, literally any wood elf model by any company, any artwork, he's he's there. Like that's his that's his bag. He's I've always I've always been a bit jealous of people that have a real quite a narrow, almost uh-huh. obsession with with certain armies and stuff. Like yeah. you know, people have got like, oh, I've got twenty thousand points of imperial fists or whatever, and I'm like, you lucky bugger. Like just being able to know oh, that's why I'm going to paint. That's fine, you know. Not squirreling off on, you know, a, a thousand different avenues. I'm terrible for it, Henry. I'm terrible for that. I'm like, but you get it done though. To be fair, you know, you squirrel squirrel off on things, but you know, you know. <laughs> next episode, oh yeah, I've painted this army and I've painted this army. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I and I I mean this with the, with the greatest. I, I think of the why I mentioned Andy's piece in particular. I was thinking about it. Is I felt that was really like a piece of artwork. That was like very uh, like as a piece of art. Mm. Whereas I think of myself as like a a journeyman Col- coloring in. Yeah, yeah, 3D coloring in. Yeah, so, I think um, there's there's sorry. space for both of those things. Um, but we do we chat about the is miniatures painting art quite a lot, um, and it's it's something I'm working on something to that is related to that currently. There's a there's a project in the works related to that. So, well, next time you see Andy, let him know that you were invited onto a podcast. And the first thing they said, <laughs> first thing they asked, told me Andy's that. great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, but this is it. People are like, oh, sometimes I see these these painting models, and my my friends paint better than me, and I get really demotivated. And I'm like, try having Andy Wardle as your business partner, like for your <laughs> for your painting company, right? Just, <laughs> it's, you know, like, cry me a river. <laughs> right, it's uh, yeah. Oh, you're very good too, Henry. Thanks, babe. So, um, for those of our listeners who don't know, what is Cult of Paint? Oh, uh, so uh, Cult of Paint is well, it's a it's a limited company now, um, but it's uh, was an initiative me and Andy started what four years ago now, I think. Um, essentially, provides painting tuition. Uh, sort of in-person classes, YouTube, Patreon, uh, sort of private tuition. We make our own lines of miniatures um, and we try where possible to sort of support community projects to around painting. 
Um, I would say those are the three sort of major a- aspects of the of the business, as it were. Um, and it was it was really we just started it to to try and professionalize, I guess, um, painting tuition and, and whatnot. There was there's a lot of a lot of things out there where you could go to go to supposedly a class, you know. And I, I went on a few of them where where I I paid a bunch of money to some spurious paypal account and got to go and watch someone paint for a day and that wasn't really i felt a little bit like (laughs) "Eh, i could have done that on youtube you know that sort of thing so sort of you know it was one of the big things we we loved teaching and we we taught in a uh, an amateur i guess you call it capacity Mm -hmm. you know a few years prior to that um and it was just something we both really enjoyed um and we both and we both wanted to create a miniatures range and we went you know sod it let's let's give it a go so i quit my job uh and <laughs> here we are Frost. <laughs> yeah with a very understanding partner um and and uh yeah basically i tell you what it's a great way to get a handle on hobby spending you know i know you guys chat about that quite often on the thing if you oh, quit your job and start yeah. a new business it, that has a, a profound impact on how many models you're able to purchase, um, you know, working through your backlog. So, Isn't that, can you just write that off as um, expenses? Though? Oh, yeah. I love this. This is my favourite. Oh, you could just write that off. Like, Where do you think that money comes from? This is just magical. Sort of. Oh, you have a business. <laughs> oh, here's a huge part of money for you to spend on whatever you want to do with that business. I'm like, I, who am I writing it off? Like this. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, a hundred percent. I do. I put all my hobby stuff on 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 the business. Um, it just happens that I am the business. So sadly, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. It's good fun, and it's you know it's it's going from strength to strength. Um, we, we're say we've we've been involved now in a, a few sort of um, what would you call them projects with other people co- collaborations uh, with people. So we've got a got a line of airbrushes, which is really cool with a, a well known airbrush manufacturer. Um, we're working on uh, another collaboration with a another painting something manufacturer at the moment, which is really exciting. Um, it's just yeah, it's just sort of just going well. I'm quite I'm quite proud and quite you know sort of surprised. Yeah, I've, I've watched it. I mean, I always I knew you and you were just a fantastic painter and not a celebrity. I got, oh, uh, yeah, it's been nice yeah. to see this journey as cult of paint has really been taking off. Um, if if someone's at home and they're listening to this and going, that Henry sounds like a cool guy. I want some more of that painting stuff. Where would be the best place for them to start? Uh, any social media platform. Just type in Cult of Paint. I've got them all. Got and uh, cultofpaint.com. You know, it's really pretty simple. <laughs> you go on any one of them and you'll figure <laughs> out what we're on about. We do, and I think possibly to our detriment, we, we, we're, we're really conscious about not, being one of those companies or individuals or whatever that spam a lot of community groups. Yep. Um, and actually, I think you know something. Our we, we we're very fortunate to have a, a friend of ours who who was a student but become a really good friend who is a a very successful advertising executive, mm-hmm. um, and he'll often sort of give us a little bit of advice and, and stuff with things. And he's always telling us off for not being a bit more. Um, yeah self-promoting um that's that's something we're trying to work on but um so yeah it may be that that unless you've actually gone actively searching for us you might not have seen us unless you know someone you know has has posted about it which is always lovely that's always the way i'd like people to find out about it 
and it's for someone else to go oh i've just seen this cool tutorial or i've been on this great class it's it's lovely when you discover something for yourself as well yeah you go down a rabbit hole on on youtube and then you're like watching six hours of that's it right oh. or, or like when you find a new band and it's like oh my goodness they've got 10 albums this is incredible yeah. like you know and that's you know you how do i not know about these or oh, it doesn't matter you know you do now yeah tucky um but yeah but any but, of those you'll find right absolutely because i know there's certain companies and you like get adverts and different things like i've been on a course and, and this and that and uh, it's just it's you know horses of course and it's different and, and we we've we've really tried to stick to our guns from the very start you know it's only the two of us and whilst we disagree on a huge amount one thing we're always really really sort of both on the same page with is is the sort of how we want to present ourselves and and sort of um principles i guess and it's cost us quite a lot of money over the last few years um, but you know we've, we've turned various things down and, and done that big but it's it's good you know it means we can we can be really confident with what we're doing you know that we're Cool. what's the word i'm looking for we're happy with where we're at with it good but yeah it's good fun. so tom we've, we've we've got a few questions that we've reached out to the community we've got a few questions here i'd like to talk to you about yeah so uh, you the cult of paint training days you mm -hmm. talked about you sort of run several different types of training there you know some about airbrushing some of painting vehicles some are infantry painting or, or brush skills Mm -hmm. If somebody was wanting to come along to a training day, mm -hmm. could you give us a, a potted rundown of roughly what happens one of those? And sure. Is... Um, well, I love the fact you called them training days. I'm going to be calling them that from now on. That's much more fun than classes. Um, makes it sound like some sort of secret organisation or whatever. Um, not the really boring staff training days you have to do at work and just... <laughs> Talking about that. Um, no, essentially, we we run anything from a sort of four hour evening classes through to three day sort of classes, um, and the, the you generally, I suppose, you could split them into into two things. One of them, one's type of class tends to focus on technical skills, so that might be um, brush skills, for instance. One day class where we we really really go through how you mix paint how you apply paint with a hairy brush onto a model how you get a smooth coat of paint and how you can build up a highlight and how you can blend that highlight um, what we try and do is we never really teach the gw style uh, of painting um, it's a fantastic method of painting that layering way they do it and they have brilliant videos and and all the rest of it to learn how to paint that style so we don't really see any value in going and teaching that what we try and teach yeah. is the other ways of painting generally the ways we enjoy painting um but the classes are always very small in number um they're very hands-on we don't sit you there with a screen and stuff we we you know we'll we'll do a demonstration you'll get around and watch it then you'll go away and you'll work on that and we'll walk around and basically so we walk around and help you fix any mistakes that you've come up against and uh, so that's where we, we think there's a lot of value in it is you've always got that immediate feedback if you need it. And then the other type of class, you know, those classes cover things like airbrushing, army painting, painting vehicles, weathering, working with a hairy brush, everything like that, really. Then we do sort of master classes, which is where we'll look to they're a lot more theory focused. Those. So you, if you came on one of those master classes, we would expect you to have a certain level of technical ability. 
simply mm-hmm. because you won't be able to enjoy those classes if you don't have it. Yeah. The 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 things that you'll get told on those classes, you, you'll be told, okay, now go away and glaze that. Well, if you don't know how to glaze, then you can't go away and do that. So yeah. you know, we had that early on, and these two two guys were really struggling. So we gave them their money back, gave them a free ticket to a to a um a techniques class so that they could come back and, and actually get more out of this uh non-metallic metal class was, was what we were working on. So we we put an awful lot of energy into the into being better teachers. Um that's where we want to we know we're good painters. We what we want to really focus on is being excellent painting teachers. Uh, yeah, that's that's two different skills. Right? Completely completely yeah theory and practice two different things. Um, and that's the exciting part, really. That's, you know, that's the bit, you know, that we we enjoy the most um, is, is seeing seeing people click and go, oh, OK, I get it. And then I do. And you're like, oh, that's great. I imagine property just get that all the time, um, <laughs> so, which is you know, lucky. Good for them. They deserve it. But um, yeah, so th- those those are your typical days. Um, and generally we we either run them at a a gaming venue, perhaps. Um, so like a, a store. So like in London, our venue is um, Bad Moon Cafe. Run classes out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've worked with a lot of venues and quite a few hobby venues are run pretty poorly, if I'm honest. Uh, and we don't tend to work at them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got, you know, a good setup now in the UK of sort of fairly good places we like to work all around the place. So you're never that far away from it um and actually we teach internationally which is pretty fun too um so or we will perhaps someone will get in touch with me from a gaming club say like hey came along so so yeah i know monk uh, ages ago and i was like oh, oh. do you want to come down and do some airbrushing at the club i was like yeah of course we will um but we tend to do that in a slightly more professional capacity as well where you know someone will get in touch and go guys we we'd love to do your class but we don't all want to travel down to wherever to do it Mm-hmm. Will you come and run it at our scout hut, you know, village hall, whatever venue it is you've got? And you're like, yeah, you you hit this number, then we'll come uh, and do it for you. And that's that's really good fun as well. Um, oh, that's great to hear. I mean, I assumed, you know, that it was just going to be airbrushing stuff, but to hear that you get to use hair. No, hair. no, not not at all. Like, and there's there's one class that is entirely airbrushing, and it's called Intro to Airbrushing. And, I mean, and and that is like a, a four hour class. I generally run it in the evenings um, and you usually have about four or five people on it and you don't need any kit at all. You come along, you can use I've got airbrushes, I've got compressors, I've got everything. Everything's provided. Mm-hmm. We try to be honest with you on all the classes now to provide as, as much as humanly possible. But you, you come along, you spend four hours basically learning the the, the way to enjoy using an airbrush. And yep. at the end of that session, you can go, yes, this is for me. Right, off you go and grab one and I'll advise what you could buy and all the rest of it. Or you go, now, do you know what? It's fun, but I'm not. This is too much for me. Great. Well, you've only spent 50 yeah. quid or whatever for the class rather than a couple of hundred on whatever. Um, but that that's the sort of um, that's the only class that's that's sort of one that's just airbrushing. Um, yeah. When we do things like tanks, you know, yes, of course, there's airbrushing as part of that, but there's oils, there's enamels, there's weathering, there's highlighting, there's working on metals, there's, you know, it's sort of all, all different kinds of bits and bobs. Yeah. But we always sort of like like the idea that I'd always like someone to go away from a class feeling like they could now go away and make the most of 
all those great tutorials and things out there. You yeah. know, it's it's that classic GW uh, um, step one, step two, step three, step four, right? Yeah. What I guess what we're trying to do is help you understand what on earth happens between step three and step four, right? Yeah, how does it how does it go from this hot mess to this heavy metal model? So that, you know, you can go away and you can read these awesome <laughs> hobby books or all these great tutorials on YouTube and stuff, and you you can understand the terminology and you've got the technical understanding of, of mm. applying the paint to the model. Now go and you know enjoy it and. And, and take it whatever direction you you want to go in. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean that was always the mystery for me was how that like the the last two steps. Yeah. Like flat. <laughs> yeah. It's paint. It's paint the flipping owl, isn't it? That's the uh, if you've yeah. ever seen that. It's, it's a, a a very amusing little little uh, drawing. Um, but yeah, so it's as I said, it's it's a it's the major part of our business. Obviously, with what's happened, you know, in the world over the last eighteen months, we had to completely change we had to adapt or die basically as a company yeah. uh so now an awful lot of our tuition is online which we never we will always prefer in-person tuition always um but we now obviously have the youtube the patreon the on online tuition and things like that so fantastic which is good fun so sounding sort of like really you offer something for everybody really if they're like a brand new painter up to yeah. you know You've won some best painted, but you're going for that Slayer Sword. Absolutely, you know we've had Slayer Sword winners on classes. You know, it's 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 some um, there's there's they're really I one of my favourite classes we ever did. I still remember it. We did it at a place called Incom Gaming in Cheltenham. It's one of our favourite venues. Um, Chip, the guy who runs it, it's an absolute legend. He does huge amounts for the hobby uh, and the and the local community. Um, it's it's also the venue is like an alternative um, rock pub, mm-hmm. so we get the dance floor in the day to teach on. So it's, you know, we've got this nice room, nice sound system so we can get some music on and there's a bar there and everything. So it's, it's always a, a fun day. But I remember we, we had a class there was running and, and you had a guy sat down who had literally never painted a model. He was just getting into the hobby. He saw this chip was like, Oh, you should go on this course. This will give you a, a real crash course into it. And he was sat next to one of the most recent Slayer sword winners. But neither of them had airbrushed. So they were starting It's exactly the same place. Now, by the end of day two, obviously, you could tell the difference between the, you know, the, the, the models quite, quite clearly. But certainly day one, they were, were more or less, you know, on, a, on, a, on an even. And I always have massive respect for the, the sword winner that was there because I was like, there's a lot of ego in, I think, oh. in, in, in lots of hobbies. Right. But there's, I think there's a lot of ego in this one, particularly around painting. And um I was always yeah, really, really impressed with that guy that he was like, I, I want to learn stuff. It was quite daunting. I'm not going to lie. Like seeing this <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness. Right. But then I was like, well, actually, no, you know what? You, you do know more about this particular subject than that person. He's he's no different to anyone else. You need to teach him and treat them, mm-hmm. you know, like like a, like another student. Um, but yeah. But and then equally, you know, the odd masterclass will get there's uh, particularly Andy is a, a, a really He's very into competitive painting. I am. It's true. So he tra- <laughs> so he travels. <laughs> so he travels. You know, to shows all over the world to compete and stuff. And he's he's you know he's right up there with, with one of the winningest painters at the moment. Um, and you know he's obviously met a lot of his peers through that. And we we occasionally invite people to run a masterclass with us, which is where perhaps there's there's only maybe fifteen what. 
there's probably about 50 people who will go, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that class. Why don't you book that class? Of that 50, there's probably about 15 who might actually come on it. And yeah. of that, there's then about 10 who will actually buy tickets and turn up. Yeah. But so that's it's not feasible, really, for that person to run classes all the time. But once a year, perhaps, you know, there's a there's a small group of people that would really benefit from having access to that artist for a, for a weekend. Um, and that artist gets to share their knowledge, uh, you know, and, and, and enjoy that side of it. And we just sort of try and facilitate, you know, we do all the, the boring admin side of things, really help write a lesson plan, all that sort of stuff. But then yeah. then we get. So, again, that's that sort of community aspect of it, trying to just trying to nurture that a, a bit more. Um, and it's th those this ridiculous artists out there. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just incredible. Um you know, even myself, you know, is not necessarily that into competitive painting. I can obviously still appreciate when when someone is at the top of their game, you know. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty exciting. You sort of talked about it a little bit there when you were sort of saying about how you see some of these other painters and sort of you, know, you can appreciate the, the amazing work they're sort of coming out with. And I think we've all seen some of the things that people paint. And we see it online probably every day. And there's probably, I would imagine, only a few hundred people in the entire world who are able to sort of paint minis to sort of that absolute, utterly amazing yeah. quality, I would imagine. But do you think sort of taking maybe two or three steps down from that and just being a good painter, do you think that is more about sort of, do you still need quite a high sort of innate artistic ability to become a good painter or is it more about practice and learning skills and techniques so i mean that's a question i think about a lot mm. um and especially now we, we do this podcast around or vid i don't know what you call it really youtube chat show i don't know um around the idea of painting culture and, uh, and that type of thing i don't think there's a simple answer to it really but what i do know is that you can achieve a very very high standard of painting discipline and um good tuition yeah so if you're someone who can analyze a piece or or, or can take quite basic tuition but extrapolate from that and and, and actually put it into practice great or you find a mentor or a friend or you come on a class with someone and and you're, you're one of those people that can pick soak things up well you know and then and then recreate it 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 is what's what's sort of it is still hard because it it takes practice and it takes understanding uh to, to progress but it is simple in the sense of there are clear right and wrongs with mm -hmm. with what you're doing um there's there's plenty of of painters i know that, that that are award winners that are not what i would consider artistic people they they paint by numbers almost they 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 can they they see a style that they like and they're able to recreate that style um and very very well so they have they have excellent technical ability and i i think there's the sheer fact that very, very few people have the discipline and the, and the staying power to to paint a lot, often with a with a purpose, because, you know, there's 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 people who knock out army after army after army after army and they don't necessarily 
if you want to say improve, say improve. But excuse me, but um, that's because they they are obviously happy with the result. They have no desire to change that result, so they just repeat the same thing. They will obviously be improving without knowing it on certain things. But if they're not if they're not doing it with a purpose other than colouring it in and and being done with it, then they're not. You know, they they, they it's not as simple as if you paint for a thousand hours, you'll be a great painter. But I do think you can achieve uh, a golden demon gold winning standard. That's I think that's we say golden demon because that's probably what the vast majority of people in the hobby are aware of as a painting competition. Yeah, that's the one. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's the most well known, right? In spite of the fact that perhaps it's not necessarily the most well regarded within the sort of higher end painting community. Um, that's a bit unfair to it. It's it's not the be all and end all, I guess, is what I'm getting at. There's there's people who would consider winning golds in other competitions to be more of a measure of their ability. Um, but you could certainly get to that standard without a, a drop of artistic flair in your body. Um, but there's there is this little one percent or whatever at the top who do all of that, and they have the thing right. The, the when you can look at a miniature and you go oh so and so painted that and that i think is proving painting miniatures is art because you you can tell someone's brushwork you know you can tell someone's choice of colors you know their palette all that sort of thing um and for me i actually i get my kicks out more of seeing the painters that don't necessarily paint to a competition level but clearly have an artistic um, vision. Um, I really, really enjoy that that type of painting. Um, you know, I suppose Blanchitsu, that style would be be the most well known of that in the sense that it's not it's not necessarily something that would be uh, would compare favorably, perhaps technically, with certain other painting. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's obviously got real flair and real real vision to it, and that, that's that's what tickles my. Um, fancy yeah i mean as as i think i said to you before um i consider myself to be like a, a journeyman painter that i when i paint an army i'm I'm technically doing it and then every so often i'll go to myself right i'm gonna do some freehand on this <laughs> and i'll start and uh, i'll be like oh that's right i can't actually paint <laughs> <laughs> i know how to color in 3d yeah uh, and I will need to go off and and mm. actually plan for what I'm gonna. I'm gonna paint something. I I did a model. I, I painted a skull on a cloak. So I went and got a picture of a skull and I had to look at a skull, a painting someone had up or a copy of painting is easier than copying an actual skull. Yeah. But I looked at a painting and I, I I tried to paint that onto the cloak and it turned out okay. Whereas normally I would just go right. I've painted belts. I've painted cloaks. Mm. I've painted mm. helmets a mm. thousand times before. I know what colours I'm going to use. And I'm going That's to it. You've work. almost got an autopilot, right? You've got your little collection, your go-to recipes, you know, exactly. and it's just fun, right? It's it's just relaxing. And Have you been in my house? Have you <laughs> it's it's how I paint a lot. It, it's I, I enjoy that almost. Um, it's not meditative. It's not. Repet- yes, I suppose it is to a degree, isn't it? There's There's that repetition to it. There's the mindlessness is the wrong word as well. But I do find it quite relaxing. When I don't well, necessarily flow, have to, you know. when you're in the flow zone, we are just, you're just, just doing it. Yeah. You're not thinking about what no. you're just doing. You're doing the act without actually contemplating. 
You're just in you the know. moment of acting. And I doing... know exactly how I'm going to paint those pouches on that yeah. squad of Marines. Yeah. You know, and, and by the end of that session, you've not only have you achieved something, you know, you've also relaxed. I think it's it's one of those things, though, where I, I, I genuinely can't think of another hobby that is so rewarding if you enjoy learning as yeah. as this one is because you know if you're the true sort of renaissance your hobbyist i i guess you you would be a an avid gamer an avid avid painter you probably dabble with a bit of sculpting you know you're probably now 3d printing yeah you know you've got you've got all of these things that you can deep dive and learn and they all still relate back to the, the hobby at a, you know at the core don't they I mean, you could take it further to like, you could be creative, you could write fluff, you could write. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cr exact creative writing, 2D artwork, yeah. you know, uh, community building. Yeah. You know, there's, there's like, a, uh, a, a podcast. Of that. <laughs> well, I mean, that just seems to be what, well, what, what did I read? Something, it's, it's what happens when, when four middle aged white men chat about something, a podcast appears. Is that what? Yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> it, I had two options. I could either get into podcasting or I could get into like craft beers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why not both, mate? I'm I'm sure no one's thought of that. Yeah, so next week we'll be looking at our new craft beer podcast. <laughs> I, I, I think I approach most of my painting as that sort of like meditative, sort of mm. relaxing thing. I, I find the painting where I'm learning and pushing myself and doing something new. I enjoy doing, but I have to do that in sort of limitations because I quite often find it quite stressful. It's generally like it's taxing, it, isn't it? Right? It's like this is a, a, a new model, something I've not painted before. I'm sort of learning, and sort of it's a different experience for what I get from for most of my painting. Um, yeah. Do you guys find because obviously you, you two play a lot more historical stuff and, and and paint a lot more historical stuff that, than I do? Is there a? And I know you've said in previous casts you don't you're not like absolutely religious about getting the colors spot on and the mud being the correct, you know, iron levels and, and all the rest of it. Um, but is there, is there an element of, of I, I noticed John um, at the hate club had posted on the Facebook, Harry, Harry, you know, he had his picture up of some tank. I'm afraid, honestly, I'm so embarrassed in some senses. I, you know, I know the color trim for a third company ultramarine, whatever on this thing, but I couldn't tell you a frigging thing about real life. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he was painting some tank and then some sort of buggy with a bit of canvas looked like my old Land Rover on it. Um, but he was, you know, his his enjoyment for that evening was get, getting copying it basically, making it look like that photo of that vehicle, and getting even if the colors weren't exactly right, you know, he. He had this perfect guide, right? Of okay, well, that color goes there, that color goes there. Bit of damage there, done. Is is that something that's actually a, a real conscious, uh, enjoyable factor of painting historical it's stuff? In, entirely the person's choice, right? Like if if you wanted to, you could take um, like if we're talking World War Two, you could paint all the American things just in olive drab. You could paint all the German stuff in. Now, early war, grey, late war, yellow. If you want to go down further, things you're saying, what tanks, what, what actually was there at this battle, you can then start looking for photos and looking at mm -hmm. things like that. And it's the resources, and it's a wormhole. As far as you want to go down, you can go down. And then it's, 
I enjoy that sort of research, and I have a lot of uh, a lot of the paint manufacturers bring out color references with mm -hmm. them, them all. So you just you know, 1945 German tanks. Get the book off the shelf. Look at what you're painting. There you go. It gives you the colors in probably two or three. Either some of the reference books will have like the colors for like AK and MIG, mm -hmm. or it might just be like the AK one will just be the AK one. Mm -hmm. um, the Vallejo has like the conversion chart for about 47 different <laughs> paint yeah. manufacturers. And they just think, you know, <laughs> these are the paints you need. These is the pattern that you need. And it's then basically just a case of sitting down with the masking tape, cutting mm -hmm. them out and making them. And if you want to make the exact pattern that it sees reproduced, it can be fun, can be an absolute nightmare. It's, it's what do you want to do? It, is it going to be fun for you? sitting there and spending six or seven hours with a micro hole punch cutting out tiny holes yeah. to put the masking on um or do you want to just have like an approximation of that camo yeah. scheme yeah um, do you want to get percent yeah. right or do you want to get 100 percent right and 80 percent right 20 percent of the time you know but that's what i'm saying like even so even just within a world war ii historical game you've got fast scope right within for, for 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 people that are wired differently to still enjoy the same hobby yeah oh, um, you know. definitely and I, I think i think especially with more modern historics like world war one onwards especially if you're coming at them from playing you know 40k or fantasy or anything like that the models look really drab and really dull mm, because mm. You know, surprisingly camo and that sort of thing all blends quite well and you, you've not got very much highlighting, and someone else. Oh, it can be. Be the club and Gary walking past me and Dan having a game Soviets against Americans, and he sort of walked past and he took a double take and he said, "I didn't think he'd set your armies up because I couldn't see them yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. in them on the table." And is that a compliment? Go. I don't know. <laughs> um, going back to what you're saying about different things for different people, when I mm. was. Um, I painted up a tiger tank for um, my Deutsche and Africa Corps, my DAC. And I had, this, I had the transfers to make it Tiger 131. Now, Tiger 131 is the... I know Henry knows exactly what I'm talking about. Not, <laughs> I'm sorry, going, oh, not DAC, Africa Corps. Yeah, yeah, okay. The only running um, tiger tank we still have. It's a very famous one. It's in Bovington. Oh, I was going to say, is it the one at Bovington? Right, it is, okay. DAC, yeah. the one at Bovington. Yeah. <laughs> and... And I had it, and I had the pictures of the of the tank from in Africa, and I thought, do I want to go and replicate every single bit mm -hmm. of battle damage and every scratch that this tank had, or do I want to put the transfers on in the right place? You're just gonna say, do I sort of paint Tiger One Hundred One on it? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing. It, there's a point where you can draw a line and go, no, that's too far. Sure. But if, but if you wanted to, you literally could go and get. The photographs of that tank on that particular day and go and put each little scratch and each little bit of battle damage on there as close as you could very very so, good. like the the sort of as i said i'm not i really enjoy uh the military scale modeling style of painting and actually i i try to bring when i got back into painting that was the the style i learned so even though I generally have painted fantasy and sci-fi miniatures, it's always, well, I say it's very often it comes from 
those techniques and, and almost almost that aesthetic as well you know metal bits aren't necessarily going to be all painted a different metal color there's a very good chance that you know they spray it the one color and it's done kind of thing yeah but one of the obviously being in the industry as it were now and and making this my life i've got very nerdy about things like paint and sort of understand wanted to educate myself about paint how is it created you know all, all the rest of it because the better i understand that the better i am able to answer questions at classes essentially and you know if, if i come across confident and i'm able to give an accurate answer that person's now going to have a lot more confidence in me as a tutor so they'll relax and enjoy the, the class and, uh, and all the rest of it like people can tell when you're uh uh that's where people can tell when you're <laughs> 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 that right oh, can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's i know for some of the um military modeling stuff there's there's something called scale reduction factor yeah which it's... I, it's brilliant it's so clever like the fact that if i got the paint that olive drab whatever that i would paint yeah. my real life tank with and if i use that color on my model tank it won't look right because of it being a smaller object and the light behaves differently on it. So we've created this paint that does look like it when you paint it on the small model. I, th I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Like I, I really enjoy that, that side of it. Um, you know, I, I have an awful lot of respect for those people that, that do, you know, go, well, actually the iron content of the soil at that time would mean that your mud would be more red than that on there. I'm like, good on you. Like, <laughs> I think that links I, I do also really get a kick out of that and sort of can see myself in you know, 10 years' time with a bigger beard going further down that route. Maybe that's how it happens to them. Maybe we have to get the beards to, like, at least mid-torso level before we're allowed to... I want you to imagine Tom in 20 years just travelling around Northern Europe, just, like, taking soil samples Reference and like, photos, yeah. shaking them and going, yes, that'll do. So one of the... One of the things I, you know, I'll, I'll try and be aware of what other people are doing and what what literature and stuff's coming out with different mm -hmm. styles of painting, even if it's not what I like. Right, I, I try and keep abreast of it all. And uh, I was I was on a website buying a bunch of paint, and I thought, oh, I'll just have a look at what what books they've got, see if see if there's anything that. And, and that way, when you're at a class, I just bring a where I'm possible. I just bring a big stack of different modeling books you know for people to look through and get ideas and i saw this one and it's called the ultimate guide and reference for the modeler mud <laughs> and i that's thought well, oh, bargain like i'll have that for a tenner or whatever it was i, I was like yeah. oh that's that's going to be full of really useful information and tutorials and it came through and of the 78 pages sorry 80 pages in it let's have a look 59 of them are just photos of muddy things, tanks, namely, um, <laughs> just of real tanks just covered in mud. And I'm like, when I when I first got this, I was like, you, you, they saw me come in, didn't they? And then like, right at the back, there's like a teeny tiny little tutorial about about how you could maybe replicate it. Um, but I, I got quite into the old, the whole military modelling thing, but on 40k miniatures, and. Mm. I knew I wanted to run a class on it, partly because I knew it would force me to like really deep dive on it. And I was lucky enough, I got, uh, there's a, a group of guys out in Sweden that we, we've done quite a few classes with. And I was like, look, do you want me to run a, a military modeling 
class, you know, and we'll, we'll really, really go into all these sorts of techniques that they use on scale kits, but we'll, we'll do them on 30K heresy vehicles. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. And this book was invaluable um, on the class because I was actually able to go, okay, well, this is the type, this is the mud we're painting now. It's the, it's the dried mud that the dusters collected on top of. Yeah. That's what we're going to paint. Whereas this mud, you can see, is what we'll do later because it's fresh mud and it's all the rest of it. So actually, it wasn't quite such a... Uh, uh, what's it called? A white elephant? What's it called when you you buy something that's useless? A white elephant, I guess. Yeah. So I will admit to also having that book on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> the, be the best I part, Tom, is did you realise it's it's only number one, which suggests there's more books on mud in this. Uh... One, two. Well, it's like the uh, there and there is the I don't know if you've seen the uh, the old wood series. Which I think there is two volumes so far of like old fences. Oh my! So I'm I literally today. I've been filming a tutorial on painting old wood, rotten wood, in fact. Um, and I've been I've been out in my garden. I've been out, out in my on my street, basically looking for rotten bits of wood to photograph. Because otherwise, I can't use stock photos on. What you live now, Henry? <laughs> um, I. It's funny. It's it's you know it's a simple little tutorial, and but I've it's one of the m most enjoyable days painting or playing around with painting I've had in a long time. Actually, was was working on this one. Um, I I think at the minute I get a huge kick out of using real life reference photos um, for things um, and trying to sort of replicate it in paint, but to a to a point where I can do it in a handful of paints not you know because i'm wanting to put it on a gaming model you know and, and i think that's that's a lot so i do a lot of these army painting uh classes and army painting tutorials and things and it's it's this idea of you know i think sometimes people consider army painting a bit of a dirty word in the sense of army painting just means you're not trying it just means you're bulk bulk painting whereas i feel like actually people who like i I get a much bigger kick out of a really well-painted army than I do out of one really well-painted model, if that makes sense. I have, I have a huge amount of respect for people who can, can, can maintain a standard across an army. But there's also a real art to, if you just paint every model in that army to the best of your ability, it won't necessarily look like a great army. Mm -hmm. You really need to consider things. You know, How is it going to look on the table? How is it going to look next to another unit? You know that those types of things is i think there's a real art to it and i think a, a lot of that can come from understanding what it is you're trying to paint understand what it is you're trying to represent on that model and then effectively just getting it to as fewer stages as possible and that in my mind is how you can end up like making a really really great looking army if you can take it from five steps and take it down to three steps and that's it right all, all of a sudden you could realistically paint an army like that now yeah. If your cloth is five steps, are you really going to paint 200 Imperial Guardsmen? You know, like that? It, 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 unlikely, right? Um, yeah. um, I think a lot of that comes uh, as well. I, I've seen, it's all, I think war gamers are quite good at sort of doing that and taking things from somewhere else. Because I see the diorama painters mm. take things from the railway model mm -hmm. painters mm -hmm. and... I could be totally wrong, but I've seen the railway painter tutorials and they will have like 10, 15 steps for your primer. <laughs> it's like, this is how you get like the, the 
German red primer, and it's like eight paints in yeah, a dozen exactly. different combinations. And like, that's now your base primer coat before you put on your first color coat. Yeah, and then you discover Vallejo whole red, and you go, oh, okay. Yeah, that cuts out those entire <laughs> that entire paint set is now no longer needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's it's you know t- traditional traditional painting is obviously responsible for for miniatures painting, but a uh, a lot of what we I think consider now as miniature painting, so much of that came from from like scale model painters. Um, sure. And I you know I think if you the chances are that if you're a tabletop gamer you either play historicals where there's a fair chance you play modern like world war ii and stuff historicals or you're a games workshop uh gamer uh in which case you'll be familiar with things like forge world yeah um you know and both those both those uh companies or whatever you want to call them uh, games or whatever they they're the roots of that style of painting comes from the guys that were painting scale models so you know it's it's even the really high-end one-off models that you see, like these larger scales, so like the, the miniatures we produce are a 54 millimeter scale. So to put that into perspective, like a, a a guardsman would be about the height of a Primark if it was, you know, if, if you were doing him in 54 millimeter scale. Um, and the traditionally sort of larger figures like that and 75 mil and so on, the, the traditionally they would, people used oils to paint them. You yep. know, using acrylics to paint them is is a relatively new thing on on the scene, um, and a lot of that comes down to oils being way easier to blend, um, you know, and giving you a much longer working time on. So when you're working on a one-off piece, you can manipulate it. You can come back the next day. You can change what you've done. Um, actually, painting them in acrylics is much much harder, um, in some senses, um, but for us as as gamers you're able to create unique colors in acrylic and sell a small pot of it much easier than you are able to create all those colors in oils and and, and so on and so forth you know um you know if i said to you right each each tube of oil is going to cost you eight quid you know and you know you're gonna and, and, and i sell you the equivalent of a of a ak or a gw color set you know all of a sudden that's uh it's not going to happen yeah <laughs> but it's uh it's it's fascinating i think i think if anybody wants to improve their painting go, go, go back and look at what those those guys were doing um you know it's all there's nothing new under the sun in that sense you know it's uh it's, it's all been done before and, and and some of them like people like phil stashinskis from forge world were like legit like he was a, the daddy when it came to scale modeling painting you know, if you you go and find some of his old dioramas that he did, I don't know what they're actually of, like, but I know they're very realistic. And if yeah. you like the thing that he's painted, you probably think it's amazing. Um, but I know that he's painted a really cool submarine or a really, you know, good looking tank and whatnot. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's there's a there's a very big painting world out there. Once you suddenly step outside, perhaps the the game system you're familiar with. On the podcast, we we don't talk about 40k very much because we both stopped playing it at mm. the moment, really. But I think it's what, but it's definitely what we both started to paint, mm. started uh, to play, and started to uh, learn to paint. And I would think like a space marine is almost like a perfect thing to learn to paint on because you've got 
Absolutely. I was just yeah. wondering if you thought that. Absolutely. So our brush skills class that we run, we run it on a primary space marine because it's a well-proportioned miniature with clearly defined shapes. Um, it's, it's a perfect little mannequin to to paint on. Um, there, there is there's a lot more to why space marines are so good than just games workshop stick them on the front cover of a game. Um, there's there's a whole multitude of reasons I think why they're so enjoyable to paint. But I think there's you know whether you whether you like Games Workshop as a company or not, uh, there's there's no two ways of, around it that they are they're the recruiter for our hobby. Yeah, you know it's it's even the, the next biggest system would probably be something like Bolt Action, maybe. Which has got to be right? every Bolt Action player I've ever met <laughs> has come from. Come via, yeah, exactly. And right? it's got you know? it's got to be several orders of magnitude. Oh. Less. Yeah, I I would imagine Games Workshop's worst selling game infinitely outstrips Bolt Action. Yeah, right. I, I just, but but again, it's that doesn't need to be a problem. You know, I I think there's there's you can recognise a successful uh, gateway, you know, or, or recruiter. So we've got a couple of questions from the Facebook group for listeners for you, Henry. So cool, cool. Fire away with the first one. Are there any? Do you have any tips on the common mistakes people sort of make when painting or like a quick win that anyone can do that will sort of like improve your technique? Mm. Finger painting. <laughs> um, a rather sort of uh, overarching answer would probably be to, to do with expectations, like set, set your expectations for, for your painting. Um, you know, there's, there's an awful lot to be said for a really good base coat a really good smooth base coat you know on a a miniature um you know you nicely color it in as it were you know but with with a with a smooth consistent you know it's going to look good um but i think easy easy ones now i'm i'm a bit naughty in that the vast majority of stuff i paint if i mess something up i just battle damage it to hide the mistake but that's not going to work for everyone if you don't like battle damage. And also, if you only battle damage the mistake and you don't put battle damage anywhere else, it's going to look a bit odd as well. Um, but I, I would... What's an easy, an easy win? Goodness. Null Noil. It <laughs> um, washes are pretty... Now, there's way better things than Null Noil. Like, way, way better things. If, if you like Nuln Oil, go and have a play around with some contrast paints, right? You're, the world will suddenly explode, right, with, with opportunity. Um, like, the, the more and more I use them, the more I think contrast paints are an absolute gift, yeah. just not necessarily the way we were told you should use them kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what's an easy win, an easy win? Come back to me. I'll think on that. I, 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 will, I will think on that one while we're on. In those contrasts, like Wormwood and um, mm. Templar, do like round engines and like they're dripping oil and grease. This is it, right? Yeah, use them for things that, that you, yeah, precisely. The browns are oh. great. You've got that five or six really different, interesting browns in the contrast paints. Yeah. And, and if you like doing a bit of weathering and stuff, uh, they're fantastic. They're, they're, they're a really nice halfway house, I find, between working with oil washes and working with normal acrylics they mm-hmm. sort of they've got some characteristics of both um but you know this obviously you can make your own very easily but you know this convenience is also a yeah a big factor 
Um, easy wins. I haven't really managed to gel with many of the contrasts myself, but I have. I am a huge fan of using some of the browns and reds for red leather, yeah. which I normally struggle to paint. Just seems to be one of those colours I really struggle with. Like red and orange leather contrasts. Top of brown leather, away you don't have. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it as well, like layering them as well. You can get some really interesting things. Like yeah, they're they're, they're fun paints. They're, they're they're really fun paints. What would be a best an easy win? Finish something. That's probably the easiest win. Like the the still the most enjoyable painting session I've had in the last five years was about four years ago. A friend of mine came over uh, and we 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 sat around my my dining table and we said right, we're gonna finish a model start to finish we're going to paint a model each this afternoon that's that was the all the rules were you know it could be whatever model you wanted but you, you by you know seven o'clock when we go go to the pub it's got to be done um and it was brilliant and i still got that little model in my cabinet and i and actually it's not bad you know for time versus results i you know and it it gives me a real buzz so i think fi- finishing something and and it's not an easy win though is it so it's a bit of a cop-out but when you get to 80% of the way through a paint job, you will probably hate it. It's that last little bit. Oh, yeah. That that just transforms it. I, I've had a, a unit of Chaos Warriors uh, on my, my desk for, gosh, over a month now, where the actual miniatures have been more or less finished, like 95% finished, just a little bit of fettling to do with here and there. And, to think of it, and then this weekend, I finally based them. And they look, and I, I'd gone from, oh, I don't think I could be bothered with this project anymore, to, oh, do you know what? I really like how they look. I'm going to paint another unit for that that army project, you know? And and so, yeah, finish finish something. E- finished is better than perfect, right? Yeah. Just just get it get it get it done. Get that little positive feedback loop going. I think that would be the the easy win. And if that means, yeah, as I say, if that means reducing the steps or or lowering expectations sounds really negative but it's not meant to um but you know if, if i can look at that model i go right i can paint that sword in three different colors and i'll sponge this and i'll do that but am i actually gonna do it you know if i'm like those cat that chaos warrior unit i'm wavering i wanted to do fancy bases that's why i'd left them for so long and i had all these ideas i was going to order all these different materials learn learn a load of new stuff and I went, I, I haven't done it. They've been sat there for three weeks, four weeks, whatever, and I still haven't done it. You're not going to do it, are you? So I grabbed my pot of Russian mud off the shelf, my, mm-hmm. pot, my little packet of tufts and some little purple flowers and went, right, get it on and did it. And do you know what? It looks fine. And, and I have a finished unit now and it makes me smile and, and I see it. Whereas if I've waited to try and do this new idea thing in my mind, They'd still be sat there in another month's time. Of course. Mm-hmm. I, think I think you told me, Henry, that it, it's important to be um, fearless mm. in painting. You just you just have to do it. What's the, <laughs> what's the worst that's going to happen? That's it, right? Oh, I painted this bag brown. I'm not happy with that brown. You, you finish the model. It's done. Yeah. Move and you on. Go to the next thing, and then the next yeah. paint, you can make it better. Yeah. But sometimes you have to just not be worried about ruining a model. You just have to get on and get it done. Yes, be that fearless. sounds like a pub salute table, ten o'clock in at night conversation. Uh, exactly where like, <laughs> eighteen TBRs to the bad or whatever. Just um, paint the giant zombies. Do it. <laughs> I know, like 
I get much more of a kick out of looking at a finished unit or a finished army and going, this is to 90% of my best work. But And I get much more of a kick out of looking at that finished and go and think than looking at a perfect model yeah. and going, well, that squad leader is brilliant. The rest of the guys are bare plastic. Yeah, that's it, right? And again, it's it's all about that managing expectation. You know, if I want to paint something to the best of my ability, you know, then I, I need to go, do you know what? This is going to be a one-off model. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's great. Go and push yourself and, and achieve. Maybe not even that. If I as I say I really, really want to start to nail, I don't know, true metallic gold. Okay, well, I'm going to paint this shoulder pad. And that's fine. That's that's it. That's all that that has to be. Doesn't have to be an army. Doesn't have to be a new custodies army. Doesn't have to be you know. Yeah. And I could try my best on it. Before a custodies army, I better get that down to three steps. You know, yeah. <laughs> and then and then if I don't, right. you know, there's no excuses then for not not completing it. Right. Um, I'm a big big advocate of time versus results. That's mm-hmm. that's sort of the basis of all of these army painting tutorials I do. It's it's that will. Is adding more more stages and more time to this project worth it? Is it is it is it proportional to the enjoyment I'm going to get out of the finished result? You know, and, and if it's not, then you, you just have to step back from it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think you're absolutely right about um, basing models as well. They really suddenly just doing oh, that basing that model can suddenly just transform like just, yeah. Just, completely and even further than that like just getting the like finishing the basic like paint that rim yes paint the rim don't think i've finished oh i'll do the rims later because you won't right just sit there paint the rims then it's done you know and and you know i'm a big fan of black rims around my models because i like how it makes them look like they're on a teeny tiny plinth Right. But I also get why some people like, you know, a brown or whatever around the rim. So it blends into the table more kind of thing. I was going to ask you, actually, I was going to say what color should the base rooms? I'm black myself because the dark color. It should be black. Is it... Yes. I, I was quite like generous there with what I was saying. I can understand why other people like they're wrong. Like yeah. you should you should 100 percent paint the rooms black on your models. Don't be a heat. Unless like... you do like a nostalgia goblin green. Uh, you know. <laughs> Talking about sort of like painting armies and then sort of expectations of time, that sort of thing. How long did it, did it take you to paint an army? Do you think if, if you were to sort of work, you probably don't work on just an army at a time, but if you were to put in. No, so, so doing this for a living has certainly impacted my personal hobby, undoubtedly. Um, and I don't get as many armies done for myself as, as, as I wish I did. Um, I'm actually starting to use smaller projects now, which is helping quite a lot. It's like thousand point armies or games where it's, you know, Titanicus where I only need 10 models or whatever. Um, but I would say if I haven't got an army project done within four months, it's not getting done. And that's mainly going to be down to my enthusiasm for it. I'm going right back to what we chatted about earlier, like just that admiration for people who have an obsession with one or two armies. Yeah. I don't. It's not so much that I am a butterfly in that I I can't stick to a project. It's that I just genuinely like probably 80% of the stuff I see. 
you know, regardless of game system, regardless of, of, of manufacturer, like I, I enjoy it all. So what I've, I've moved around a lot the last 10 years and now I'm settled where we are. Um, I've found a small, it's not a gaming club, Andy, don't worry. I've, but I've got a small group of, of, of <laughs> chums now who, and we, we, you know, we have a games night every three weeks. Or finally we can get going with that again. But that little uh, impetus for me to get my stuff painted for game night is huge. Oh yeah. Right? And I know I hear people talk about it all the time, oh, you paint for a tournament. I've, I've never gone to tournaments. I've always been a bit nervous, you know, you know, all that sort of thing. You know, I, I I've not been at a, a place long enough to go to a club consistently so that i've never had that driver but actually that's been hugely beneficial to me so you know if, if someone turned around and said oh do you want to play burrows and badgers yeah great I'm, I'm all in i am all in until we're done with it and then someone's going to suggest something else and then i'm all in on whatever else we're doing um so if i can get the project done within that real passion phase and surround myself with other passionate people about it then i'll get it done no problem but if it's just me just me in my head just a little idea i've had no one else is particularly interested in it plod along it's not going to happen it's just just something i've got to accept now <laughs> you know <laughs> it's uh yeah so yeah i'd say four months but i ideally i i do a thing called army painting consultancy which is a bit of a it was a bit of a joke title, but it's ended up working quite well where uh, it's like a tuition session where, where I'll, I'll sit with someone and we'll, we'll, we'll plan out their new painting project with them. And we'll go through everything from recipes to to step by steps, how we're going to approach this, that, this, that. And then and this, so that they they and then we'll go, OK, wh- what area are you weak on? I'm on this. OK, so we'll do an actual tuition session on that technique or whatever. But a big part of it is, is planning the project. And that just comes really from commission painting um and and obsessing i guess around painting 24 hours a day almost yeah um and and sometimes you just need as much as encouragement is great i think sometimes you need a bit of bluntness too you know (laughs) to go that sounds great but you're not gonna do it so (laughs) let's let's do you know yeah everybody wants a you know uh, like the, the war of the roses thing you guys were chatting about so i i'm up to about where am I at now? I can't remember what episode I'm on of you guys, but it's it's in the you're double figures. We're past we're past War of the Roses, and but I love the idea with that of going. Do you know what this is? A, this is something I've always wanted to do. But you know what? I'm not going to get it all done. Well, what about the other ten people that feel like that? Well, what could we do together? Maybe we could get get this project done together, kind of thing. And actually, something myself and Andy have spoken about, and, and a few of the guys that are sort of satellite, as it were, members of of, of, of cult we discussed the idea of having communal armies mm-hmm. um you know either where one person paints it and others can play with it or actually where we sort the scheme together divvy them up paint them the same and then we end up with a with an army at the end of it and actually i think if you've got a close group of mates that you play with i, I really think there's legs in that idea um, oh yeah at the club we're doing something similar for in 2022 with 28 mil napoleonics Right, because none of us want to paint five hundred. Oh, is that the one? Am I mixing that up with the War of the Roses? No, the War of the Roses were similar. Yeah, uh, uh, War of the Roses was like a bit of a damp squid. I was quite enthused, and nobody <laughs> else was. And so, the, the, the secret of having these projects down the club is 
we like put up a poll of go what would people like to do everyone puts up what they want to do we put a poll up and then something that nobody picked as the one thing they wanted to do <laughs> wins and it's something like everything that somebody wanted to do like second or third wins um yeah right war right. was everyone's second choice yeah so we end up doing it challenging but, not, yeah. but now i have an english civil war army there you go there you go um yeah, I think yeah, co communal armies might be something I, I push a bit more actually, try and try and get it to be a thing. Um, I think if you've got if you've got that good hobby group and you're all a bit nerdy about painting, you know, because I'd love to have more painted armies, and it's not for want of, you know, I'm painting a lot. It's just it's just most of the time it's not for me, and it's not for you know that that type of thing. So yeah, I wonder if that's the way to go with it. Like like 20 or 30 dreadnoughts that are like here's how you start doing vehicles of oh i've got like the united colors of benetton space marine chapter like on the shelf of, of every one of every single color imaginable um you know and yeah and like you say like i i have seen a rhino painted in just about every way a rhino can be painted you know <laughs> something but but yeah not actually have a, a finish there, there was a period there was a period of time for about two years where i had painted i think over a hundred vehicles and i didn't have a painted vehicle in my hobby room and i love painting vehicles right that's you know it's uh yeah it sounds to me like you need to start doing um high medieval period um nice <laughs> don't talk to me about about those sorts of projects i've, I've still got my my uh my bretonian in in the shoebox my bretonians in the shoebox in the attic one day one, when i'm good enough for for my money it, it's the painters that do it some i've seen the fantasy painters with the bretonians but some of the scale guys who do the like the barding on the horses yeah. and stuff oh. and you know oh that really does look like that's embroidered that's embroidered cloth yeah that's that's proper painting when you can make the plastic look like a texture that isn't plastic you know I, I i really do love it i think perhaps that's something i enjoy with with models actually is that the fantasy or sci-fi stuff but that is quite close to real world if that makes sense so like i yeah. loved you know the empire in warhammer and the bretonians in warhammer and i loved the sort of the the the, the forge world style imperial guard or or horus heresy stuff because it's it's sci-fi but actually it's it's meant to look as if it's kind of normal right kind of kind of i know there being a real change at gw sort of at the turn of the millennium we've had all the shiny space marines all like bright colors and that suddenly mm. there'll be this more realistic palette and dust and dirt and i i think i enjoy that more the it's fun right and it's great yeah. that we it's great that you have the options being displayed to you by by well-known you know painters or companies mm -hmm. you know um as i said you know i every the heavy metal style is not my personal cup of tea doesn't mean that i don't have enormous respect for those those guys yeah the heavy metal painters and girls because they are when you hold those models in your hand the the precision and it's just mind-blowing it's absolutely mind-blowing and you know and, and some chump on the internet's you know slagging off uh, uh, at every metal photo. Oh, it looks, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's painted to look good in the photo. Well, of course it's painted to look good in the photos, Yunana. Um, they're, trying to, they're trying to sell sell a model. 
Um, but it's I, I think that's been one of the most exciting things of the last 10 years in this hobby is the there is no one trendy style almost to painting. Yeah. There is a place for everybody's styles now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's there's, there's almost no niche anymore. It's just it's just all there. Uh, and, and there's tutorials for all of it. You can go and you can go and do it. Like I've, I have never been interested in Napoleonics, for instance. Right? It's just, it's just I've, I've watched maybe three episodes of Sharp. Right? That's that's the extent of, of my knowledge of, of or interest in any of that. But, Turnip Twenty Eight. Um, now there's we've got a link to anyway that the the creators concept artist for us and stuff but it, it is that's got me going that's got me on the perry's website that's you know looking at kits going, oh, okay so what can i do this that and the other you know and how cool is that you know um because one of the things that put me off it was i don't want to have to i don't want to have to paint something a certain way i think i i don't like being told how to do stuff sometimes like that like i want i want the options um, so. I, I wouldn't worry too much about it, Henry. Like about if you're going to do Napoleonics, because you get different accounts. Even when I think the accounts of like the French troops arriving on one account, these brave men dressed like almost like they've come from the parade ground, and then the next one is he looked like a homeless man covered <laughs> chicken on the end of a stick, and he was feeding bits to a dog. He had a spoon in his hat. This <laughs> is the same army entering. Yeah. different description of how they look depending. well and then there's heathens like you playing their lord of the rings orc army in in the polionics as well right that's uh, did you ever did you ever end up with that that was on an episode i listened to recently <laughs> oh, I decided. Uh, you threatened to <laughs> that sounds like heresy henry yeah. um, i wouldn't say that i'm going to use uruk high for War of the Roses. <laughs> um coming soon to a games club near you <laughs> turn up 28 though i think is Maybe right, uh, a good thing to sort of end the podcast and today on because it seems to be it, it propped up a sort of like some images mm-hmm. when it wasn't there, and then just seems to have sort of grown across every different every hobby community, which I think can sometimes be quite insular. Like I, I don't yeah. think there's probably very many 40k players who are sort of the Perry website, for example, where sort of got everybody and people who maybe hadn't didn't know what grim dark was mm. sort of likewise it sort of seems to have been one of the few things that has really sort of engaged and grabbed people from all different aspects of the hobby and it's it seems quite cool and now you're seeing like people people bringing out like heraldry and like writing up more fluff for it and then you'll probably know much more about this knowing the creator than the, the fluff that's coming out uh, and all only, of this other... yeah only more so in that I, I i knew about it sort of before it happened and sort of was shouting about it when it when Max very first sort of mentioned it, and then it's just been so busy for me since then, with with everything we've been doing with work. I, you know, I I just I haven't really kept an eye on it, and then just occasionally I'll see a post come up, and like the heraldry one you mentioned the other day, I'm like, oh my goodness, look how far you know. So somebody sculpted three D uh, parts now, torsos and helmets that you can just plonk straight on the Perry. Um, miniature ones now so you haven't got to buy the two kits to smash them together and stuff it's, it's all done and, and it's just i i love that it's not only because it it really gets me like i love that look at the, the the painting style is brilliant i love that almost brian froud kind of vibe he's got going with with some of the, the artwork um I, you know i enjoyed working with max it, it, it's 
I think it's wonderful to see, you know, it came out during COVID. It's it's a very positive hobby story, really, I think. Uh, to, to, it's, it's To me, it's highlighted the best of our hobby. Yeah. Um, un- undoubtedly. And it, I am desperate to dive in and and, and have a go. I've, I've got my regiment's name. I've had it for ages. I've got these ideas of what I want to do with it. I just got to put some time aside to uh, to, to paint at least a unit and a character. Um, and again, maybe that's it. Expectations, right? I would love to have a unit and a character that can go in the cabinet and I'm happy, right? Well, there are a variety of Napoleonic games out there which mm-hmm. only need Twelve guys, so a, so un- a character and a unit, and you can play a whole host of. You've seen some sharp, and some of them. <laughs> there is, uh, I think, for, sharp practice or forager is uh, advertised as ITV in a Saturday afternoon style Napoleonics. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Joe McCullen's um, is it Silver Bayonet coming out? Is that the guy who did Frostgrave? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that's probably going to be like 10 models. Nice. So you can get halfway through that, Henry. Uh, dude, look, Oathmark's my, my like rabbit hole project at the minute. So I'm trying to, trying to keep... keep I, love, I, I love Oathmark because that, that's, it's one of those sandboxes where you just oh. imagination can go mental. Oh, yeah, man. When I saw Sasha posting about it for, from the club and uh, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. Uh, and then it was like, then I saw who produced it i saw all the rest i was like yeah all right i'm gonna have a look at this um and it's yeah it's it's one of those it's one of those things that makes me really miss the fact i'm not back in london and coming down the club a lot because i'm like oh man i bet i bet it's really fun i bet there's loads of like you know it's loads of enthusiasm going with it you know and uh, at my heart i love square square bases and regiments you know that's that's how i got in that's that's still I still seeing big ranked fantasy armies is is still my biggest sort of buzz. Well, that and tiny scale, I think that's probably yeah. I'll take either of those. But what, have the, have the best of both worlds, play yeah, right. rank and flank yeah, yeah. on a tiny scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was out of the hobby when Warmaster dropped. Uh, I'd left, but I was on on the sabbatical, as many of us take at that time. And um, my goodness, like I, I would if that came out again now, a fantasy ten mil game, oh, oh. because I could get an army of that done fairly quickly, you know. <laughs> I don't have many regrets, Henry, but I had bags of listers of. of... Oh, well, you would have worked, would you, for the company around that would... time as well? Oh, so I got more. Che- I had loads of cheap yeah. listers, and then I just I moved to London and just oh. went, got rid of them. To a friend, yeah, I've always for fifty quid. Yeah, almost is one of those games where they know it's been out of print for nearly twenty years, but there's still a yeah. lot of people play it yeah. week yeah. in week out. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, last time I was up at Whammer World, there was a game going on. Um, that there's a, there's a table up at Whammer World that's like a, a Tomb Kings Egyptian style. Um, last time I was up there was a people playing Warmaster on it. Um, looked looked really really cool. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's my that's my real bag. It's only a matter of time until it comes out again. They're releasing everything anyway, so it's only a matter of time, Henry. Ah, do you know what? I think we're getting to a point now where we don't have to wait on them, right? There's there's the the three D printing now. The sculptors coming out. 
and and the, the quality of home printers now, especially for smaller scale stuff. Like I'm a massive fan of BattleTech. Um, yep. something I got into with a friend of mine, American friend of mine got me into, but there's no getting away from it that the vast majority of the models look like they're made out of earwax, you know, but the 3d, the, the 3d print uh, sculpts for them look fantastic. Yeah. You know, get, get that print out five of those paint them up. Happy days. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it, from miniatures wise, maybe not vehicles, but miniatures wise, it seems to be like res, home resin printers mm. seem to have been the game changer. Oh yeah, people are now. I'm now. I've now got resin printed minis, which are in my armies, and I've never have had a 3D printed one in. Yeah, and, I, and particularly the small scale, I think, is is really strong. Or, or maybe role playing as well. I think that's where that's where we'll really start to see a lot a lot more of them. Um, but you know, I, I was just thinking, uh, a sculptor, Gareth Nicholas, used to sculpt four games workshops. Also, Slash or Winner, an incredible painter, you know, one of these. He's one of the top percents, you know, um, artistic flair and all that. But he now sculpts uh, 10 mil-ish, 8 mil, 10 mil, um, stuff that would probably work very well for Warmaster. Uh, you know, Elves of the Wood and things like that. Um, Angry Dwarfs. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you know what? I've, if that's how you need to get your business up and running, go for it. I always really admired... Um, just, just to end on like salute, like that's that's where we met, and honestly, uh, it's a big trade show in the in, in the UK, and um, oh my goodness, the, the my, Anvil Anvil Industries, mm-hmm. um, I loved seeing them sort of come on the scenes, and and their whole shtick to begin with was was they made spare bits for Space Marines. There's no getting away from it, right? That's that yeah. was what it was. But they made their money or a bit of money from that, and then as soon as they had that, suddenly they put it into their own thing. You know, they created their own game. They created their own uh, factions, and and they started to diverge away from. That. And I was like, you know, bravo! Like, I I really admire that. Like, you you you're not you're not just making a living being knockoff X company or whatever. Mm. You know, but there's there's nothing wrong to get a bit of start up with a with a, a, a space miner. You know, <laughs> a diminutive space miner. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I think it's been a real game changer. You, know, you can go online, you can download a PDF of a game, mm. you can go onto your, your your 3D resin printer and just print out an army. Yeah. The only thing you can't print is an opponent, but you know. It's true. It's not going to be long till we can print painted models either, or certainly to oh. a degree. Yeah. Hopefully after you've retired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but it's uh, that was a really fun chat. I enjoyed that. Henry, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for asking me on, mate. I really, really pleased to get asked, and uh, I've, I've been really enjoying the podcast. So, so yes, yeah, it's, it's one of one of only a handful I listen to now. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. You are one of my hobby heroes. So, thank you, Henry. <laughs> so are you, mate. You're one of mine. I still tell people about the story of this Andy guy who painted all his models, and they're like, "Now, ah, whatever. What are you drinking?" <laughs> I did. I really did, but I just had to go and buy more. <laughs> well, well, thank you both very much, then. We'll see you all soon. Good night. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hi, Andy here. Thanks for listening to Hobby Support Group. If you're listening on Spotify, can I ask you just to click on and subscribe to us? It'll be a really big help 
just just get your get your phone what your ever is and, and go on and, and just subscribe and then you'll never miss me or tom ever again and thanks again for listening to hobby support group thanks everyone <laughs>